night on Inside the Actor's Studio. Born June 22nd, 1958 in Royal Oak, Michigan. Once a security guard at a bear brewery where he would where he dreamed that one day his friends would hit him in the face with tree branches, cover him in fake blood, and make him flip his own body over and over onto the ground, all in the name of cinema. Then, in 1981, those dreams came true in a film called The Evil Dead, a film that has changed the universe, and that actor is Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell retrospect tonight on Attack of the Killer, a podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast. 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 Hey, everybody. <laughs> really? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Tackle Killer Podcast. I'm your host, Insane Mike. And tonight we're going to talk about talking about we're going to talk about Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Who? Of, ah, some dude. <clears throat> One of uh, America's greatest actors of all time. Yes. Yes. We figured this would be a cool talk to talk about since um, there's all this buzz about an Evil Dead TV show on the horizon. So figure we take a look back at the career of Bruce Campbell. But first, as always, <laughs> let me introduce you to the podcast crew. First up, give me some sugar, baby. Terry Turfer, everybody. <laughs> Had to. Uh, awesome. Hey, everybody. He is the master of the fake shemp, Dustin Neal. <laughs> he read all the words to Bruce Campbell's book, If Chintz Could Kill. Well, not every single syllable, but yeah. Jason Bollinger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it, but okay. Hi. Next up, Ellen. Knott's Landing, Xena Warrior Princess. No, those aren't just Bruce Campbell's acting credits. They're also the favorite TV shows of John Sullivan. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And last up, very special guest star. He may or may not be the real Elvis, Sam Hayes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's go. How's everybody doing? Good. Acceptable. Great. Acceptable. <laughs> cool. Good. Well, before we get into talking about Bruce Campbell, let's talk about this video that Dustin <laughs> made us all watch. Yes. Yes. I'm sure most of the internet has seen it, but it's a video, and hopefully we can put a link up to it when we post up this show to every 90s commercial ever uh, is what the, the name of the commercial is. And it's, it's, it, we've been seeing a lot of these lately, 
And I think they're so cool. Not necessarily commercials, but these short, horrific videos <laughs> that are just <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. For example, Too Many Cooks, which is just oh. one of the greatest things I've ever seen on the internet. Brilliant. Yes. And then that was followed up by the uh, unedited footage of a bear, which I can't <laughs> stop watching for some reason. I think it's got some little messaging in it. And then uh, this just came out last week, every 90s commercial ever, which if you were a 90s kid, and you probably don't even need to be a 90s kid, if you were just watching TV in the 90s, you saw a commercial that's pretty much like this uh, up until the end, where it's just overacting, it's super exciting kids, uh, you know, like, just think of pizza bagel bites and Capri Sun commercials. Uh, they've taken those two worlds and melded them together and literally created, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> created one of the coolest short films, I guess you want to call it. I mean, it's a commercial and, and it's just amazing because it, in my sick and twisted little mind, this is exactly how I'd want it to go down if I was going to remake this commercial and take a dark side to it. Um, but one of the, it's 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 kids. They're crazy. They're they're going to the park and there's a sports and they take figure. Their, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's a sports <laughs> figure there, which is that's that's another cliche '90s thing in a commercial. Um, and they've had a drink of their their big slam. What was the thing? The uh, I can't remember their drink. It's a complete knockoff of the Capri Sun. Well, the Capri Suns of the '90s. Uh, for some reason, every time the kids drank it, they turned into like the T one thousand, like liquid metal, and like <laughs> flew across the playground. <laughs> That's what these kids do after they drink it. But they come together as one, <laughs> as the liquid metal, and they form this monster uh, of all three children, and they just start attacking the other children of the playground. And from there on out, it's, it's just amazing. I don't want to ruin it. I want everybody to click on that link and watch it because it, it is by far one of the coolest things I've seen come out lately on the internet. It's as if yeah. the three kids were in the Brundle teleportation machine, and that's what happened when they came out together. <laughs> Mike, he wasn't giving away the... <laughs> no, he described it. No. <laughs> it's okay. We can like, talk about it. It's, it's a one-minute, some-minute commercial, so, I mean, it's... Man, I loved it right away, and I knew Mike would because it. We I used to call it rainbows, but there was that rainbow right stuck at the bottom of the yeah. frame and little dancing mm. line. It looked so yeah. VHS and <laughs> dubbed. As if this was a real commercial and somebody recorded yeah. it off a of TV on VCR to play it back on YouTube. So, Or if that was an intentional... Um, addition to the whole thing. They uh, they talk about that, and they and uh, this is what's really cool about this commercial is that they have uh, a behind the scenes featurette uh, for it, and it's so cool because they talk about uh, they're making a joke um, when they're filming because they're filming on red cameras, and he's like, "We're filming this, you know, this high quality HD video." And we're just going to run it through a VCR. And it shows them running it through a VCR. <laughs> and they ran it awesome. through. And that's what they got. That was the result. And that's pretty cool because it's 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 right on. Like It's exactly like what it would look like if I had taped Saturday morning cartoons and was watching it. And you know, it, was just, it was just perfect. Now, this, was this an Adult Swim video or this just some other dudes? Just this was just some other dudes. But I lump it into that category because it's yeah. so dark and twisted, like those videos. Yeah, and like too many cooks. And smart. Yeah. yeah. 
it's just it was just well executed and a lot a lot of time went into it. I mean that the makeup effects are freaking awesome. I mean that kid yeah. melting. I mean it's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. I um I like this current trend of these like short films like this adult swim stuff or or these guys that uh use um gore and and violence and horror to tell the to tell the joke. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a little messed up, but yes, that's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. They're 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 creating a joke with the horror. That's but it's so good. <laughs> Take something completely like unrelated to horror, you know, like a Capri Sun commercial, and then just make it go sick and twisted, and it's hilarious. It shouldn't be, but it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I really like about unedited footage of a bear. Um, that one's just mind-boggling. That one, it's it's, it's, it's madness. Awesome. It's madness, and it I love it madness. because because it it is that, and I think that's. You know that one's not necessarily a, a, a horror one, but they it it plays out to be that way mm-hmm. because you're trying to decide what the hell is happening, and it's just it's just craziness by the end, and it 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 does scare me because <laughs> it is so uh, so crazy <laughs> and off the wall, but again they're using those uh, the they they kind of reverse it because it becomes horrifying and then they use that you know medication uh, yeah. for what the commercial really was as the joke where like we were talking about where they you know she's 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 been ran over and she's bleeding and she's crawling on the road and you know they put that little little fine print down at the bottom it's like please contact your doctor if you're experiencing problems within two to four years <laughs> exactly because because by the time you see that you had forgotten that yeah, it was yeah. originally like a parody of these like um, medication commercials and all of a sudden, and I just started laughing. Like I just got really into the horror part of it. And then when that pop kept started kept popping back up, I'm like, "This is this is genius. This is hilarious." Yeah. Oh, well, that one is excellent. And yeah. the whole thing, not related to the title of the of the uh, video. Yes, yes. The actual unedited footage of a bear is like three seconds long. Yes. Yeah, just was waiting the whole time for them to cut back to that, and then it just never right. does. Right. <laughs> yeah, what's really interesting about that video is it has a website for that medication, um, and if you go to the website, it looks like a legit website for you know whatever that medication is supposed to be, and in the background you can see the house that she's crawling up to in the actual <laughs> film. And really. Keep clicking on that house; it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you're playing a video game um, with those rooms that you see her going crazy in, and you can like you know click left or right and, and, and navigate your way through this house, and it plays weird videos, and it is really bizarre. But you know <laughs> you want to go to the website and check it out, and you can go to the website to check it out because they put up during the commercial that video they put up like the fake ad in front of it, like YouTube usually does. And yeah. if you click on that, you can go to the web, go to the website, and, and check that out. It's really cool. That's awesome, man. Let's see some more of that stuff. Yeah, keep it coming. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything else anybody want to talk about at the top of the show? I want to ask you a question, Mike. What's this uh, movie you're working on? Night of the Babysitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it just it just wrapped. Um, 
couple days ago. Uh, I was doing the special makeup effects for it. It's called Night of the Babysitter. Um, definitely the title leads you to believe it's kind of kind of a cheesy like 80s horror film or something. Um, but it's um, it's actually kind of more, I'd say more of a kind of um, oh, maybe kind of almost Tarantino-esque like action nice. crime story. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, basically this... Uh, Feature? This father... Yeah, I think it takes place in the future. Feature. Oh, feature? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, it's a feature. Um, anyway, but, uh, yeah, these, uh, this father and daughter are seeking revenge on all these, like, uh, hitmen and gangsters for the death of, uh, the death of his wife and all that, so. Nice. So, it's pretty cool. It's got some, some cool creepy elements to it. It's got some... Uh, good violence in it, and yeah, I had a blast working on it. So much fun, very, very fun getting to, you know, get dig out the old effects box, and everybody on the crew was amazing. Everybody on the crew, cast and crew, came from all over the place to work on this thing, and they're all just awesome. Love them all. So it was a lot of fun. Definitely a good film. So I can't cool. wait to see it. They shot on they shot on sixteen, which you know I've been. Making films for oh, really? fifteen years. Yeah, making films for fifteen years. Worked on several other people's films. I think this is the first time I've ever worked on a movie that shot on, um, that actually shot on film. So, that's awesome. Yeah, I I think that's uh, yeah, I don't know. weren't they talking about getting rid of sixteen millimeter? I think film in general, they they're talking about getting rid of stop producing. It's. There's been that talk for a while, but I don't think. I mean, I think there's too, still too many film purists out there, right? Um, especially in the industry that uh, won't let that happen. You know, and I get, and I'm, and I'm kind of that guy too. But at the same time, it's just like I embrace the technology full board. There shouldn't be any reason. Um, you know, I got in a conversation with somebody about it, and they were talking about how like everybody should shoot. Every filmmaker should shoot on film at least once. For the discipline of it, and, you know, and I get that, yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, you know, you you really have to be more aware of what's going on in front of the camera. You can't do just keep doing take after take after take. You got to know what your shots are. You can't just be like, oh, well, hey, why don't we just shoot this now? Um, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get this angle. You know, you, you got to be way more conservative with the number of takes you do and stuff like that. And then the editing process, editing on a flatbed or something, is definitely far more labor-intensive than just clicking on a computer. But Yeah, I'm definitely for, for both, you know. I hope it lasts as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, and me too. I mean, it's, it's... I believe in film, absolutely, but again, I, I totally embrace the technology. There's definitely a, a ton of benefits to the technology. Um, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, you always hear these horror stories about films shot on 35 or 16 that are just lost to time because the film deteriorates and no one bothered to, like, do any restoration or anything, you know, or scenes from films or whatever. Um, you never have to worry about lost art again in the digital age, so. Unless your there computer crashes and. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> There's a really cool. 
there's a really cool documentary um, called These Amazing Shadows, and it shows like the <clears throat> film restoration and what you know everything that goes into like preserving like the film and stuff, and for you know for you know for years and years to come and all that, and it's really a cool documentary. One of my favorite things to see while on the set of this film was um, was watching the DP um, change on a magazine. You know, as many film sets as I've, I have been on, as many um, movies I've watched, any every making of movie I've ever I've ever watched or behind the scenes stuff, I've never actually seen somebody change on a magazine before, and it was really cool to watch that process. Yeah. Yeah, I shot on 16 in film school, and I would, like, you know, change out film rules out of, like, a trash bag. It's, it's pretty yeah. ghetto. He had he had a full-on, one of those, like, full-on, like, black bags, like, oh, yeah. uh, cloth bags that had the holes in them. Um, like you're dealing with contaminated materials or something. You put the hands in the, in the bag, oh. and they're, like, gloves on the inside to where he can, like, <laughs> operate the mag in the darkness of the of the bag that's awesome yeah it's pretty cool watching him do it you know we we're shot at this one hotel and there's this we use this one room it's just kind of the hangout room for people who weren't working and so he'd come in out of the cold and change out the magazine right there in the middle of the room so <laughs> love it totally it's totally awesome good times yeah, I got to make a couple severed fingers, and, you know, I did a lot of bullet wounds on people, and splattered blood on windows. It's a good time. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little kid again, playing with blood. <laughs> awesome. Anybody else have anything you want to talk about? Um, to kind of tie in with Evil Dead, I just also watched the Poltergeist trailer. Did you guys mm-hmm. see that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I had I had not heard of it until I saw the trailer posted on IMDb. Yeah, where did that come from? Yeah, it's like what the <laughs> hell? I've seen something about it a while back. Well, yeah. I've been keeping up on it. Why don't too. you guys tell us? No, it, I'm just well, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's, it's a, it. a remake. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they it seemed like they're like. Oh, hey, they're making a, a Poltergeist movie. It's going to be for kids. I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden, bam, here's the trailer. What? You've already made it? Like, it was like it came out of nowhere. And the trailer, to me, feels like a fan-made trailer if they were going to make a remake to the original. Like, it's like they've taken everything that the original had in this trailer and, like, magnified mm-hmm. it. Like, it's, it looks cool. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'll, I'll, I might check it out. I don't it doesn't know. really seem any more for kids than the other one. It seemed yeah. pretty scary. Yeah. 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 And remember well, the that's... other one, the original was only PG and it, it was one of the scarier movies I've ever seen. I think in my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Is anybody but hurt that the remakes PG 13? And then I was yeah. going to, I was going to say, well, the original one was only PG. So I'm always mm-hmm. but hurt when movies are PG 13. A horror, yeah. horror. I'm doing quote fingers. Horror movie is PG-13. But Jason, the original one P- was PG. Yeah. So what? <laughs> PG-13. You could do more back then. Yeah. Essentially, a, a PG rating back then was. There's probably some PGs back then that should have been ours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there. 
Like when the guy rips his face off in the original Poltergeist. <laughs> that's not a that's not a PG moment. No. No. Probably not. Oh, shit. Okay. Um. Man of the hour. Don't bring me down. Oh, can we get the rest of that song and play no. that throughout the episode? It's just perfect. <laughs> just constantly. Just be like, just be like every other podcast and just do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bruce Campbell. Um, so I was looking at his filmography and taking some notes and was eventually like, Jesus Christ, 112 credits. I'm not going to go through all this shit. So. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> we were all wondering that too, so that's good. Well, considering, like, honestly... Probably about seventy to eighty percent of his filmography is not horror related anyway. Yeah. So But I just kinda I do kinda wanna start at the top and um just kinda uh, give a little history here where things kinda started from. Um, you know, him and the you know, Bruce Campbell and the crew, you know, people like Sam Raimi, his brother Ted, his brother Ivan, Robert Tappert, um, Scott's uh, Scott Spiegel, all those guys, um, Josh, uh, what's his name, Josh Becker, I think. They all kind of, they all kind of grew up together and around in and around Michigan, and um, they uh, all were doing these Super Eight movies and throughout the seventies, uh, through their high school and and early adult life, doing all these all these crazy Super Eight films, um, like uh, some films like uh, It's Murder. Uh, Shemp Eats the Moon. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, Toro, 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 about a killer lawnmower. Um, another one of my favorites, Cleveland Smith, Bounty Hunter, um, Strikers War. So they did uh, they did a ton of these uh, Super 8 films. And, and, and uh, just according to the IMDb, uh, it looked like they were still doing some of those even after during and after of making the original Evil Dead. Like, um... I think it was Cleveland Smith is dated as being 1982, uh, but Evil Dead came out in 81. So, at some point they decided, you know, hey, let's try to do this for real here. Let's try to get past the Super 8s and do... start really doing film. Um, so they made a short film called, in 1978, called Within the Woods. So they could uh, take that around, show it to uh, investors, you know, like dentists and doctors and lawyers and stuff. Um, show them this film to try to raise the money to make Evil Dead. They did, and then they made Evil Dead and, and spent, um, you know, a while in the post-process of it. And then uh, uh, Evil Dead, the first one, came out in 1981. Uh, Evil Dead, I know we've talked about it a lot. Like the original Evil Dead, the, the whole, the whole trilogy. Um, <clears throat> but what does anybody have anything anything they want to uh, to throw out there about the original Evil Dead? You want to bring up? It's the best. You think it's the best of the three? <laughs> no, I, no. Better <laughs> than better than remake. No, I. I mean, what can you say about it? It's uh, it started it all. It's good. Speaking of sixty millimeter, it was shots on film, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was shot on film. I can't oh. remember. I, I, was it 16, though? I can't remember. What yeah. And then they, uh, they blew it up, I think, to 35. Mm-hmm. Now, was it can't? Did it play at can? I'm trying to remember um, where, the, where the Stephen King, Stephen King quote came from. Because what really catapulted this film uh, into the spotlight was a quote from Stephen King. And that's what got its distribution deal was that Stephen King made some kind of quote about it being the best horror movie of the year, scariest horror movie he's seen in a long time, or something like that. Right, and right. I, and I thought it was a can, um, and I'm not sure if that's right, but I know like Stephen King had just got done having a screening of the movie The Shining. It was so pissed off and frustrated that he went to go see Evil Dead and decided to give them that quote. So, lucky for them. Yeah, <laughs> <No> kidding. <laughs> uh, one more uh, fun fact about Evil Dead. I bring this up because um, this gentleman will get brought up in later on in Bruce's filmography. But Joel Cohen was assistant editor on the original Evil Dead. Yeah. There you go, dropping knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> So Jason, the original Evil Dead, what do you think? Um, I think it's okay, only because I didn't see it first. If I'd have saw it first, it probably would have fucking knocked my socks off. But I saw Evil Dead two first and fell in love with it hard for years. So when I did go back and finally see Evil Dead, it was like, oh. That's what they're talking about. No offense, I'm sorry, you lovers. <laughs> you lovers. But I'm like, huh, really? Okay, no, it's good. It's good. It's Well, there's a world difference between all three of those films. Like, mm -hmm. So whatever your first experience was and went out of those three, that is your expectation for the <clears throat> other two. And so it's easy to be um, not necessarily disappointed, but expectations not being met. When you do see the other two based on the first one that you saw. Am I right? Right. Sure. I think I saw them all in order. Well, yeah, good I, for you. Yeah, yeah take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I actually saw Army of Darkness first, but then that after that I wanted to see the rest of them, so I watched uh, The Evil Dead on this old VHS tape from like Mr. Movies. Yeah, me too. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably watched the same copy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was so cool. Was it that jolting is... though? Because that's the biggest leap right there, going from Army Darkness all the way back down to the first one. But you know, it's like such a different vibe. I mean, you know, yeah, one one and two kind of take place in the same environment, so it's kind of the same. But. Yeah. Army of Darkness is so different that I didn't have a problem separating them. It was it was pretty jolting for me. I mean, I had seen Army of Darkness so many times, and I always called it my favorite movie, and I hadn't even seen the other two. And so when I finally went to watch them, I was like, well, those are different. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. But, yeah. But now two is my favorite, so what do you do? You know? But yeah, jolting for sure. 
<laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> I just think for me the biggest the biggest contrast is how Bruce portrays Ash in the first movie versus all the way to Army Darkness. You know, he's a total mm-hmm. idiot goofball in Army Darkness, and in the first movie, he's just—he's actually just pretty much two-dimensional. There's really no depth or comedy really to that character mm-hmm. in the first film. So, yeah, yeah. John, you have anything to add about Evil Dead? Well, I'm kind of like Jason on that. I saw the second one before I even saw the first one, so it was like <clears throat> the second one had a tinge of comedy with it, you know on a certain level versus the first one. And I really liked the second one. And then I even saw, I think army of darkness after, because I wanted to see, you know, where it went from there. So I saw the army of darkness after that, before I ever saw the first one. And finally, I finally got to see what everybody was talking about. The alternate or the other ending to army of darkness, the apocalyptic one. Yeah. I finally uh, finally saw it because I finally bought the bootleg, uh, the Anchor Bay bootleg uh, version of it, and got to see it. And I, personally, I like the I like the the other ending that's on the Universal DVD, the the one where he goes back to the S Mart and and all of that. I liked it better than the apocalyptic, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but yes, I agree. I'm I agree, John. It was just it was just kind of I don't know. In the what in the first version he had to drink the drops plus say some words, but in the second one he just had to drink or he just had to, he had to drink so many drops of the liquid or whatever and and I don't know it was just it was a better ending I thought the the and I don't know which one was the original ending was the apocalyptic one the original ending or was the other one I think the apocalyptic ending was the original ending and the yeah, S Mart S Mart was the studio studio mm. wanted that one. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I saw Armory Darkness um, months before it, it hit the theaters and and um, it had a bootleg of it. And mm-hmm. it had all those extra all those extra moments that were cut out of the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, the theatrical cut was butchered to hell. There's like moments in the theatrical cut that yep. literally doesn't make sense continuity-wise because they, they cut so much of it out. And it wasn't like the original cut was super long. It's just as almost the is almost as if the um, the distributor had no faith in the film and the fact that you know we got to just keep cutting this down and then theater cut felt like it was barely even featured length, but in that bootleg it had the apocalyptic ending, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I always like the apocalyptic ending, apocalyptic ending better. <laughs> um, you could say that word more. That'd be good. <laughs> A papalapalapalus. Um, I like probably because maybe it was the first one I saw, and that's why I liked it better. But mm-hmm. um, it also just felt like that's what would happen to Ash. That's something Ash would do. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. You know, granted, you get a lot more, a lot more Ash and a lot more glory in the Smart version. You get um, get more action in that scene. Than, mm-hmm. than the apocalypse one but uh, um, I also thought too like you know they were just going to keep going and that would be the next film you know him in yeah. this post apocalyptic world fighting the evil dead and I thought <laughs> that would be freaking awesome mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what what is your um, 
your opinion on when they, you know, what was it, two, three years ago when they, you know, talked about they was, you know, they was, or actually it was more than two or three years ago when they talked about doing another Evil Dead. Do you think after seeing it, do you think they should have, should have done it with Ash? Do you think they should have um, included him somehow or even, you know, kind of made it a continuation of that? Or do you think it worked? Do you think it was a good movie all by itself? I mean, just, just a, like a different telling of it. Yeah, I think it's a good movie by itself. Um, yeah, I I thought the remake they did a really good job with the remake, and I can and I can separate it out from the other three films and not be butthurt about mm. about this remake because um, it doesn't change those other three films at all. Mm-hmm. Those other three films are they stand on their own merit. Now we just have this like new um, awesome bloody gory uh, version of Evil Dead. With a with it almost it felt like at the end of it like we have a female Ash now, mm-hmm. um, only not as goofy. And I think if you're gonna have an Ash, it would be great to have more of the comedy back into it. But my my fan brain, um, my fan fiction brain, uh, likes to think of this as if they if they do anything else with this whole franchise. Like I guess we'll wait and see what happens with this TV series. Um, that that um, it's the same Necronomicon, just in an um, in an alternate universe, and that they could cross over this the the female lead from the remake into Ash's world or Ash coming into this world. Because mm-hmm. obviously the Necronomicon has the power to travel through time, do that kind of stuff, so why can't it uh, cross over into other dimensions? And that's where I would like to see the series go. I thought that, I think it would be really cool to just literally like hogtie all this together into one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was cool in the, uh, in the remake where they was looking through the book and there was that one image in the book that was basically the, the theatrical poster to the original Evil Dead. It showed the woman reaching her hand up and that was one of the drawings in in the book. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Any other thoughts on the on the remake versus the original? It's kind of unfortunate because I got a feeling that it's going to be just pushed away. I mean that that's that's all mm-hmm. we're going to get from that remake. Mm-hmm. I yeah. remember we we did that entire episode. Um, you know, right after we saw it, which was a lot of fun, and, and we had some mm-hmm. theories of maybe, you know, because the book is different, you know, if they're staying in the same type of universe as Evil Dead, that maybe that's not the same book, maybe there's multiple books, and, you know, we had some really neat things and and and, and theories that the filmmakers could go with if they wanted to make another one, but I got a feeling it's just, it's, it's on the shelf, and that's where it's going to stay, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that was just a quick cash in maybe, but well, um, who I knows? liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Because this TV show could just just about do anything. I'm just dying to know what direction they're going to take with this TV show. I mean, you mm-hmm. think they're going to start at square one? I don't know. Tell the story over again. I I do know that I will be there uh, as soon as it starts to watch that. So I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what channel it's going to be on for sure. Stars. Is it like stars? Yeah, stars. I mean, I mean, I'll I'll have to like 
get some kind of stars subscription. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. I, I'm excited for it. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be good to have Bruce back because I feel like, you know, he was like it legitimate actor status when he was doing the burn notice type stuff. Because when he started doing that show, he stopped doing like the conventions and he stopped doing the book signings and he was just like, Okay, I'm I'm you know, I got this nice ride, I'm gonna ride it out. Now he's like ridden that out. I don't I think that show's cancelled. And now he's kinda going back to to doing some kind of convention y type things. And of course obviously he's gonna do this show. So I feel like I feel like we're getting our Bruce back with this T V show. <laughs> yeah. And it's gonna be really cool to to see this play out, and I, I wish it all the success. I wish it to have the type of success that, like, you know, like The Walking Dead has, or like the you know, American Horror Story has. And I feel being on Stars, which is a, it's a subscription channel, right? Like, you just can't, I just can't go out and get regular cable and have Stars, right? Like, that's a, they yeah, show it's movies. A, it's a premium yeah. channel. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, premium channel. I feel like that being on that type of station. They can show whatever they want, you know, blood, yeah. Yeah. Boots, you know, I mean, they can they can take it to the limit, something that you can't do. But then again, if you're somebody like me who doesn't have cable, you know, how am I going to get to watch this? What, am I going to have to pay some kind of subscription on my computer to watch it? I don't know. I'm going to do whatever it takes to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they might end up. And and I don't know about like Game of Thrones all of, and like Dexter iTunes that that, yeah. that were all yeah that was all on Showtime and HBO. I don't know if they're available on iTunes. But there's a chance if they if those were that maybe this will be available when it's you know released on iTunes as well, and you can get you know an episode for a dollar ninety nine two ninety nine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, or that's like the fun. Amazon Instant or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. But yeah. if if you're like me and somebody who doesn't have cable TV. And it does get popular, then you're basically every episode that ever comes out on anything on TV is ruined for you because those episodes <laughs> come out a day later for download. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it's, all the spoilers ever. Facebook is just a, a spoiler newsfeed for me after an episode comes out, and that and tonight, which is Sunday, which Walking Dead, what comes out tonight, right? Yeah. The newest mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. I am gonna have to uh, turn off my Facebook so I don't get any of that. That bullshit spoiler. I don't. I, I don't know. It, it's gonna suck for people who don't have cable, but I'm gonna do whatever it takes to to try to watch it. And 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 paying a dollar ninety nine or whatever, if I can watch it same night, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have an issue supporting that. I wouldn't mind paying that if it's you know. Well, and and we can hold out that I know a lot of these premium channels have been working toward hopefully maybe doing a standalone sort of service because a lot of them already have like hbo has hbo go i think showtime has its own streaming service too i don't know if stars does as well but maybe we'll have a standalone subscription by then by the time it comes out that'd be amazing yeah definitely or or it could be like shout factory and just be free I would I would submit that in there. I don't know if any of you guys have checked out the Shout TV yet, but yeah. it's free streaming service, and I've been watching Mystery Science Theater. Yep. Yep, <laughs> me too. It's awesome. <laughs> like 30 episodes. <clears throat> but no, I doubt that would ever happen. This would be a new show. They're going to want to get some money from it. But I wish it all the luck, for sure. Like I said, I feel like Bruce is coming back, and, and he's going to be doing the crazy stuff that we love to see him do. 
Yeah, and that's 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 kind of my my thought on it. Was it gonna is it gonna start it all over from the beginning, or is it gonna, you know, continue with him and the chainsaw on his hand, you know, and all that? So. But you can't, though. I mean, he's too old to tell the story of when he was a teenager all over again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're doing segments tonight, but um, there is a video game that I was going to do one, if we do segments, called Evil Dead Regeneration. And that game takes place as if Army of Darkness never happened. It takes place right after 2. Mm-hmm. And wow. You know, they could take that route with it, ignore Army of Darkness, which is fine, and just continue right off from where Evil Dead 2 left off. Maybe him just not going back in time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Do you guys think it? that, uh, do you guys think Sam Raimi will direct, like, the pilot episode? Uh, that, he's, no? Yeah, he's. I think it's safe to assume he's not going to. He's not going to do the whole series. I think it's safe to assume. No, but he's yeah. producing but hopefully, it, right? Yeah, there was an article on Bloody Disgusting that said he would be doing the pilot and producing the rest with Rob yeah. Papert. Hot damn. Woo. Nice. Hopefully that's all true <clears throat> and not just <laughs> rumors. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think in the article I read, Bruce said that, you know, fans didn't really like the Evil Dead remake, you know, they wanted Bruce back, they wanted Sam back, so that's that was kind of the motivation for the TV show. So hopefully that means lots of Sam Raimi. Hopefully he'll do a few, like David Lynch and Twin Peaks, you know, he did like the occasional episode. Yeah. Hopefully it's the same thing. I mean, if you were a director, wouldn't that be like just a cherry job for you? I mean, Frank Darabont did it. You know, for a while until he got fired. But I mean, wouldn't that just be a cool thing to do to kind of just yeah, play out job. your vision in a TV, yeah. TV show? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. So he should just do it. Yeah. The entire series. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get Dustin well, his number so he can tell him to do it. Yes. <laughs> but at the, at the same time, like, do you think? Do you think if uh, we were to go back in time tonight to? 1981 and told those guys like you know 30 some years later we're everybody's gonna still be talking about this movie uh-uh. <laughs> and you're not gonna, gonna care it, about your 250 million dollar spider-man movie either gonna <laughs> exactly you're still gonna be synonymous with this movie that you guys are making do you think do you think they'd maybe would choose a different path i i wouldn't see them choosing a different path I feel like back then they were so uh, so naive anyway that they wouldn't have taken that as advice. <laughs> yeah. well, here, well, the thing is, is, like these guys, technically speaking, these guys aren't really horror guys. You know, they 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 never really were. They just they made Evil Dead because they thought it would be a you know horror was big at the time and it could it could do well commercially. Uh, they're they're never really the horror guys, um, and no matter what they've ever done since then, um, they're still always going to be stuck in the horror community, just just loved and and adored by the horror community because of these films. So I don't know. Yeah. 
Anyway, we can move on from Evil Dead. <clears throat> um, good, old Bru good old Bruce <laughs> didn't act again until 1984 on some little film I've never even heard of called Going Back. And then the year after that, Sam Raimi back into the director's chair for the movie Crime Wave in 1985. Bruce had a small role in that one. Uh, he was originally supposed to play the lead, but the producers didn't want him in the lead, so he got stuck with like one of the one of the minor parts. What a dick! Yeah, directed by Sam Raimi, written by uh, Ethan Joel Cohen again. They have they've always had a pretty tight relationship with the Cohen brothers. Who's seen Crime Wave? I haven't, but I've heard a lot of. I, like Sam, you put up a, a link to a podcast, The Nerdist, I think, of an interview with Sam Raimi, and it was excellent because Sam Raimi is like the most down-to-earth person, you know, in that position I've ever I've ever heard. And they they mentioned Crime Wave to him, and he kind of was he was sour about it, like he he oh, almost yeah. tried to change the subject, and I've never. You know, and and they they talked in length about Spider Man three, but when they brought up Crime Wave, it was just kind of like let's talk about something else. I've never seen it, so I don't know. I can't put my you know my review on it, but it just seemed like he was just wanting to to stay away from it. So yeah, it seems like it got kind of you know scrapped and kind of you know pushed under the rug. I haven't seen it either. Didn't it just get uh, released on DVD not too long ago? On Blu-ray. Blu on Blu-ray. Yeah. Mm. And, and I've got the Blu-ray. <laughs> should get it. Um, well, I've seen the movie a, a few times. And, yes, it's a mess. And I could see why um, it was critically panned. And nobody went to see it. And, and why it's such a, a, a mark, on, a, a black spot on, on Sam's uh, resume. But... Uh, I still really enjoy the movie. I mean, he was really trying to go for just putting all of his, like, Three Stooges and Looney Tune cartoon sensibility into the movie. There's just a ton of that stuff. There's, like, I mean, like, literally stuff straight off of, like, Looney Tunes cartoons and sound bites from Three Stooges episodes in this in this movie. And it's, <clears throat> it's like a... Uh, was it 1940s period piece type thing? Um, kind of crime noir storyline to it, just with all this crazy slapstick um, going on through through the whole movie. But uh, basically, this guy, um, I'm trying to remember the whole story now, but this guy wants to kill his partner. Um, so he hires these two uh, killers that disguise themselves as um, exterminators uh, to kill uh, his partner and so they kill him but uh, somebody else but uh, somebody else witnesses it so they're trying to kill him and it just turns in this big cat and mouse and the one guy gets blamed for the murder um, and hilarity ensues <laughs> nice yeah. I think I'll buy it. It's seventeen bucks on Amazon. I should check. check I don't know if I want to encourage buying it because I think it is a unique taste. But but, uh, but I would definitely love for all you guys to check it out. Sure. 
like I said, I enjoy it. Um, I, I remember rent, hearing about the movie for years and then finally finding a VHS copy of a Torrent. And I thought it was hilarious and a lot of fun. Um, but when you watch the movie now, you can definitely see that there's... He just... There was a lot of butting heads with uh, uh, the producers on the film. It was like really the first time any of these guys had really worked with uh, with a production company and like... I don't want to say somebody else's money, but somebody else's money that that uh, really act like producers, as opposed to just getting dentists to finance your film. Um, and and every horror story you hear about dealing with like producers is what they experienced on making Crime Wave. So everything just went horribly, horribly wrong throughout the whole movie. They didn't even get final cut. Like things went they the. Producers went back and recut things. Um, you know, again, not hiring Bruce as the lead. Just all, all kinds of, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, just based on that alone, it would definitely be something that, as a filmmaker myself, I'd be in the same position. Like, I wouldn't want thirty years later to be still be having to talk and explain Crime Wave to people. So nobody here has seen it? No. No. I mean, it's not really horror, so we can easily move on, but um, I thought it was pretty funny. Next up, uh, from there, uh, Bruce was in a film called Striker's War in 1986, which uh, the distributor of that film changed the title of that to Thou Shall Not Kill dot 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 except exclamation point. Uh, directed, written and directed by Josh Becker, who is another one of those. You probably you don't hear his name thrown out as much as the rest of those guys, but he came, definitely came from that Michigan circle of Super 8 filmmakers. Um, Strikers War it actually started out as a uh, Super 8 short film that they, they shot in um, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, and, then, and then used that to raise money to film a feature version of, of the same storyline. Now this is a film. Uh, it was shot for. Oh darn it! I thought I had written down the the um, budget, but I didn't. Um, it's extremely low budget. Uh, shot, I think, on sixteen millimeter, and the it, the budget really, really shows. It it uh, shows pretty bad in this particular particular film. It basically looks like it's probably it would look like one of their Super 8 films, just stretched out to an hour and a half. So, um, it's but it's kind of fun in that regard too. Seeing, you know, it was shocking at first when I first found this movie, knowing it was from these guys and knowing that it was 1986 after they've made movies like Evil Dead and Crime Wave and whatnot. And then they all and then you watch this movie and it's like this is quality-wise is a step backwards from those other films. Um, in the original short film, Bruce played the lead, Stryker, um, where it's about Stryker and his buddies uh, just get back from Vietnam. Uh, they're all banged up and injured uh, from being in Vietnam, get back. And this uh, hippie, Charles Manson-esque cult kind of takes over the town, and um, Stryker and his friends you know, get bloody revenge on the on the evil cult. So, but at the time, Bruce Campbell was in SAG, so he could not 
play. He could not reprise his role as striker in in the uh, in the feature version uh, because because he was in SAG. So he got demoted all the way down to a newscaster and was uncredited in the film as well. But I wanted to bring up um, Striker's War um, or Thou Not Sh Thou Shall Not Kill Except. Um, it's because it kind of came it came kind of came from the circle of these guys. I mean, it's, it even has Ted Raimi in it, and it's even got um, Sam Raimi in it. Sam Raimi actually has a, it's probably one of his biggest acting roles he's he's ever done as a quote unquote actor, where he plays the leader of the um, hippie cult. So he's got this long hair, bandana, gla sunglasses, kind of Charles Manson looking, um, and his performance is hysterical in it because he's just so way over the top. Um, so if you can find it, I don't know if it's ever had a decent uh, DVD release, um, but uh, look for Thou Shall Not Kill Except, uh, which is the actual title, the actual release title of the movie. So, so that's that one. <laughs> then it's not till 1987 when Evil Dead 2 came out. So that's the thing too, you know, going back to Sam, like he did Crime Wave in '85, and he had a hell of a time trying to get trying to get another movie made until 87 when he finally just like broke down and said fine I'll do a sequel to Evil Dead and in 1987 that's um, uh, when that happened so Evil Dead 2 everybody thoughts opinions comments woo yeah <laughs> exclamation woo probably my number three favorite horror movie love it nice nice have we ever done that on the show like Done like our top ten list or whatever. No, because nobody even likes making. It's hard to get these guys yeah. to even pick one, let alone put some in order. Let's not. Try Bunch to of weirdo. My head will explode. <laughs> I think we should. I love lists. Yeah. We did that list thing. Oh, but. Sort of. Yeah, but nice that was like Actually, Jason, I think <laughs> was the only one that did it as his, as, his, as his top favorites. I think you're wrong. I think we did our top. 10. You just don't want to do it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. All right. Top twenty-five then. Okay. Oh, <laughs> In oh. order. Yes. Oh, no. And go. Uh, my head just exploded. <laughs> so nothing else to say about Evil Dead Two. Just Bruce hit a stride on that movie, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely see the evolution of him as an actor. He's. Yeah. Getting better. <laughs> Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and he's so ripped in that movie, too. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, well, not only that, but his, his physical comedy in that movie, I mean, that was what really caught my attention when watching that movie. You know, forget the gore and the, the monsters. And I will all not forget stuff. it. And all the cool camera work. It was it was really his his um, slapstick uh, stunt work comedic performances, like doing full body flips of himself. Like holy <laughs> shit, who does that? Yeah. And when his hand is possessed, I mean, you really believe yeah. his hand's possessed? He does a really good job with that. And according to IMDb trivia, because of this movie that he is known as one of the best reverse actors in Hollywood. Meaning yeah. if you are shooting a scene if you're shooting a shot of something that has to be played back in reverse for a special effect, Bruce Campbell can play can play backwards perfectly. 
<laughs> that should be on his tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> Best backwards actor. He's just yeah. dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so nothing else about Evil Dead 2? Um, We've covered it a lot. Yeah, I know. So then next up, uh, you did Knott's Landing. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Same year as Evil Dead. But then, 1988, he was in a movie, played a character by the name of Jack Forrest. Movie directed by William Lustig, written by Larry Cohen, and that is Maniac Cop. Yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, Terry, what do you think of Maniac Cop? I really like it. I just saw it for the first time in preparation for this episode, and it is awesome. I mean, you get not only do you get Bruce Campbell, but you get fucking Tom Atkins too. Oh hell yeah! Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> those two. Those two should have done a buddy cop movie in the eighties. Oh, oh man, yeah. totally. They'd have been perfect for each other. And the whole time Tom Atkins would be like, I'm going to retire. <laughs> yeah. Get jewel for this shit. Yeah. <coughs> Maniac Heat. They do a crossover with Dick. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, Terry, why don't you tell us about Maniac Comics? About- well, there's this mysterious police officer or at least someone in a uniform roaming the streets of New York killing innocent people. And Bruce Campbell plays Jack, and he is a police officer, and he's getting framed for these things. And Yeah. They go after the guy and stuff. He's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, according to that description, and just like um, when you first see like the box art and stuff, you kind of think to yourself that this is just like another slasher. But it's really kind of more of like a. It kind of comes off as kind of more like a, like a crime mystery type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mystery is kind of the right word, but you know, it, it, there's just a lot of this movie that's really focused on. On the police in this, trying to solve this solve this case rather than just following the psych the psycho around killing people. Yeah. Um, Sam, you seen yeah. Maniac Cop? I have. It's been a while since I've seen it. I've got it on DVD. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a good movie. Bruce is kind of more of a straight man in it. It's kind of a different role yeah. for him, right? Yeah. It's not too fresh in my mind, but I don't know. What What do you think? What would you say is your favorite scene, Terry, for Bruce in that movie? For Bruce? Hmm. I mean, what do you think his, his kind of standout thing in that movie? I don't know. He's kind of, he's kind of a bland character. He's not really terribly <laughs> exciting in this movie. Um, I guess, like, the, the fight scene toward the end... Is kind of fun, and you kind of see some of his physical comedy come out a little bit, even though he might not have meant for it to. Yeah, <laughs> giggling at it. <laughs> but 
Yeah. I guess yeah. I'd say that. There's not a whole lot else going on other than him whining in an inter- interrogation room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not only um, this movie have Tom Atkins and Bruce Campbell, but also Rich Drowntree. Awesome. And then, of course, <laughs> the maniac cop himself, Robert Zadar. Mr. Chin. The guy with the, yeah, the, guy with the chin. Yeah. Yeah, Robert <laughs> Zadar. He's got kind of a, a weird face, you could say. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. He's got some disease, I can't remember what it's called, that uh, causes his chin to kind of just be ballooned out like that. Oh, wait, he act. Oh, I just looked at a picture. I thought that that was like prosthetic or something. No, nope. oh, no, that's that's all that's him. That's him. Wow. Yep. Okay. Hence the casting. Yeah. <laughs> Good casting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Less makeup. <laughs> they don't need as big of a, a makeup department budget. <laughs> well, not at least until number two, when he's kind of more of a like zombie maniac cop. Yeah. He's got like all these burned zombie prosthetics all over his face. So had to use extra makeup there to cover that chin. Yeah, yeah. I think Maniac Cop doesn't it also have a uh, some cameos from uh, Sam Raimi yeah. and Danny Hicks. Uh huh. Oh, it yeah. does. It's yeah. been a while for me since I've seen it too. Yeah, Sam nice. Raimi's like a TV reporter, and and Dan Hicks is a he's just like a random cop at one point. That's awesome. Nice. So, so I just kind of wonder if it's one of those deals. It's like Bruce is like, "Yeah, I'll do your movie, William, but uh, gotta bring my gotta gotta get my friends in there too." See? <laughs> What's that? Do you like my Bruce Campbell impersonation? It's good. Awesome. I like it was groovy. <laughs> I never understood why William Lustig hasn't done more films. Like his body work is great. The original Maniac, um, you know, all three Maniac cop movies. Like percentage-wise, he's got more movies with the uh, word Maniac in them than probably any other filmmaker. Yeah, um, I noticed that. Uh, did this movie called Vigilante in 83 that was pretty good um, and then Uncle Sam that's the only other one of his that I've seen but he only has like 12 directing credits got his start in porn though <laughs> alright well <laughs> just wouldn't make everybody uncomfortable there for a minute so John Maniac Cop mm-hmm. right I it's been quite a while since I've seen this, but I, I mean I remember Bruce Campbell being in it. Um, man, I'm trying to remember parts of it, and it had uh, oh who else was in that? You said Richard Roundtree was in it. Mm-hmm. Now who did he play? Do you uh, he was like the police he commissioner was, guy. Yeah. Mm, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to read. I mean, I remember the Maniac Cop, and I remember everything. I and I remember Bruce Campbell. He he, his character gets arrested or something like that. Correct? 
Yeah, he's getting yeah. framed for all of the murders. For murders and stuff, yeah. And I thought I thought he did a good job in it. I thought, if I remember right, he he did a really good job in the movie. And I thought that Robert Zadar uh, <clears throat> did a did a great job, you know, playing the cop. Uh, and then went on to, I think he also played him in part two and three. I Who think. Robert Zadar? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, they played in all of them. Um, but from what I remember, it was a good movie. I, I can't remember exactly the complete movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I but I have seen it before. Cool, Jason. You ever seen Maniac Cop? Yeah, it's just been since forever. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin. I haven't. I have not. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Cool. I'm just looking up Robert Zadar's filmography right now. Has anyone seen uh, Maniac Cop 2? I watched yes. part of it. Like, I watched enough to, you know, spoiler alert, to see how long Bruce Campbell lasted. <laughs> oh, does he die? Oh, Wait, spoilers. Wow. Sorry, I said spoiler alert. <laughs> she did. She did. Ah, fair enough. I mean, what, I, I mean... What do you expect, though? I mean, he's a carryover character from the first one. <laughs> Does they kill him right away? I can't remember. Well, he, he's, he lasts for like 20, 30 minutes, maybe. Okay. okay. I just couldn't remember. Robert Zadar played the character by the name of Face in the movie Tango and Cash. Hmm. <laughs> That's what I meant out there. Um. Yeah, I I don't remember much of. I, man, I need to go back and watch because I don't remember much of Maniac Cop Two. But it was definitely more. They kind of took the. Uh, um. Uh, they kind of took more of the Friday Thirteenth Part Six route with the Maniac Cop. Mm. Right? Wasn't he more of an undead? Monster in the second one. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Or was he just all burned up? I can't remember. Yeah, he he definitely had more of a gruesome look about him. He wasn't just weird face. It was yeah. So it was more <laughs> of a supernatural element to it. Yeah. And and it was definitely a bit more in the. Um, slasher genre than the first one. Like, it was definitely more focused on the quote-unquote maniac cop. Right? From what I saw, yeah. Yeah. Did you see it, Sam? Did you see the second one? You don't want to brought it up. Did you see it? Oh, no, I was just asking. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. What, would you say it's better? I guess it depends what you want. Like, I think, you know, in typical sequel f sequel fashion, it ups the ante on um, what you want out of a out of a slasher film. Um, I think probably the way the story's told is the first one's better, but you definitely get more eye candy in the, in the second one, so. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to have to go and have a Maniac Cop marathon now. <laughs> All right, excellent. So yeah, Maniac Cops one and two. Bruce Campbell was in both of those. Um, 
But jumping back to the late 80s here, now we're getting into 1989 with probably one of my favorite slashers uh, from the 80s, and that's a movie called Intruder. Who's all seen Intruder? Nobody? Mm. Oh my god, guys, seriously, this movie's <laughs> awesome. You gotta check it out. It's so cool. It's, it, it takes place... It takes place in a grocery store. <laughs> no, I don't think you understand. It takes place in a grocery store. <laughs> All right. This I'm one. In. This one's written and directed by Scott Spiegel. Again, based off of one of their early Super 8 films called Night Night Crew, which was the original working title of Intruder. But then the distributors thought Intruder was a much better. Um, title for it than Night Crew. But, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's so good. Because it's like, it's this little ma-and-pa grocery store that's on the brink of being sold off to a chain. And, um, uh, you know, there's there's the two owners of it, and um, the one owner owns more percentage of the than the other owner, and, and it's like the grocery store's not making enough money anymore, so they're selling it off. Um, and they try to they just try to do this whole slasher thing where it's like who's the killer? I'll tell you what, you watch the uh, you watch the trailer from the movie, you instantly know who the killer is. So there's really not much mystery to it. They they do they throw in a lot of red herrings. There's like one of the main female lead uh, checkout girl in this movie um, has got this like creepy stocky ex boyfriend that keeps showing up and and causing trouble. So you so you're led to believe that maybe it's this guy, but it's it it's yeah, it's not. You know, they they actually do a pretty poor job of the throwing in the red herrings and trying to mislead you on who the killer is, because you know, you know right away what's going on. But it's also got Ted Raimi in it. It's got Sam Raimi in it, and it's this is great because they use the environment for the kills. Like Sam Raimi gets hung up on a meat hook. Um, another guy gets his uh, gets his head cut in half by by the. Um, the meat slicer in the in the uh, meat department. So so they use all those all those tropes in the background. It's cool because it's a grocery store. Blah blah. It's a fun fun slasher, guys. You gotta definitely check it out. It's also got Dan Hicks in it, so it's a real it's a real throwback to to the Evil Dead movies and and all these Michigan guys. It's got like Dan Hicks in it, Sam Raimi, um, Ted Raimi. Bruce doesn't really show up until the end. And what's funny is when the movie came out bruce's name is at the top of the poster but he's really only in one scene in the whole movie just right there at the very end of the movie mm -hmm. so but he's he's like gets top billing on the poster <clears throat> um some interesting facts about this movie and why it serves its purpose um in in uh slasher in the slasher genre it has an important footnote in slasher film history if not cinema history really um, what made this film so sought after in the late 80s by horror fans is because um, it w the distribution of it was a nightmare. It took forever to come out. It was totally mishandled um, when it was distributed. So us horror fans back in the, back in the 80s are reading um, Fangoria Magazine, Gorzo Magazine, reading about the slasher. It's got Sam Raimi in it. It's got Bruce in it. It's got all these guys in it. You know, and it's like, um, 
So you're hyped up on that, and you're seeing all these like totally bloody, gruesome pictures of all these kill scenes. You're like, I can't wait to see this movie. Where the hell is this movie? And then it finally comes down on video, and all the gore is is cut out. This thing got butchered by the MPAA, no pun intended. Um, just totally got stripped down by the MPAA. So when it came out on video, like you saw, you saw none of the gore. What also makes this move so, so there was bootlegs going around forever of the uncut of this, and and just wasn't until DVD really that there ever was um, a cut that put all those gore scenes back into it. And even still, when that DVD came out, uh, it was in very limited printing. So it really wasn't until Blu-ray that you could truly get your hands on it, unless you were lucky enough to get your hands quickly on the DVD before it went out of print. So it really wasn't until like a couple of years back when the when the Blu-ray came out that you really got to see Intruder for what it was the way it was supposed to be seen. Um, but what also makes this movie significant is that this is this was the first film that this the K and B studio did. This was the first time that all three of those guys, Nick Terroberger and Kurtzman, teamed up created their own studio and this was the first project they did under the marker K and B. And it was because of this film they got they started getting all this other work and, you know, the rest is history. Now they do the effects on every damn movie that comes out. That still uses practical effects. So <clears throat> so it has that significance. The other significant thing too is that this movie um was um it was written and directed by Scott Spiegel. Uh, who also was like a, you know how in like the early Evil Dead movies, Sam, Sam just was all about doing these like cool camera angles and doing. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that Scott Spiegel really latched onto. And anything that he's ever directed, if you go back and watch, um, I think he did the second from Dust Till Dawn, um, and he did like uh, Hostel Three. Anytime you see something that um, Scott Spiegel really gets his hands deep into it's all about the crazy angles you're seeing like you know point of view shots from the bottom of a glass while somebody's drinking or something you know it's just all kinds of crazy stuff like that and in the world of a grocery store he just went bananas with the with the crazy perspective angles so that's cool but um the scene that bruce campbell's in he plays a he plays a cop in it right at the end of the film and um his partner, the other cop that's in that scene, is played by Lawrence Bender. Lawrence Bender, who was the producer of all the early Quentin Tarantino films. So it was Scott Spiegel that introduced Lawrence Bender to Quentin Tarantino. And if it wasn't for that meeting, movies like Pulp Fiction wouldn't have been made and so on. So, so Intruder has a bit of history to it that I think is pretty relevant. So definitely, guys, if you can get your hands on it, check out Intruder. It's a very awesome, fun slasher. I will. Yeah. Highly, highly, highly recommended by me. Like, seriously, because I make lists, Terry, um, it's in my top ten slasher films of all time. So. Jeez. How come you don't <laughs> think it's more popular? I really think just because it got it got swept under the rug, it was totally mishandled. Um, when it, so no one knew about it when it came out on video. 
And when it did, it it looks rather generic because all the good gore's cut out of it. And the only the only real fan base for it were these horror fans. So it had its initial VHS release. I don't even think it had any theatrical release. And then after the VHS um, was done, it it never got another release until DVD. And even then, it was just like. It was in and out really fast. So I just don't think um, people know about it. <clears throat> so anyway, so that's Intruder. And then his next horror film after that, horror slash sci-fi, is a movie called Moon Trap from 1989, which I've seen, but it's been forever. Uh, anybody seen um, Moon Trap? I've seen the trailer for it. It looks awesome but I've never seen the movie. I'm trying to remember. I think at the time I thought it was awesome, but I honestly don't remember. And he even had a comic book adaptation of it at the time, too. That was also... But that was really during my phase of, like, I have to see everything Bruce Campbell's in kind of thing, so... <laughs> um, and it stars uh, Walter Keonig. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. I think it's Koenig. Koenig? Played Chekhov in Star Trek. Yeah, and and it was always when you're trying to hunt down everything Bruce Campbell's in. It was always disheartening because he's like he's in a scene or he gets killed yeah. off right away. And spoiler alert: in Moontrap, he gets killed off right away. I mean, it comes off as like this buddy, this buddy sci-fi romp between um, Chekhov and Bruce Campbell, um, but Bruce Campbell doesn't make it, and then you're stuck just watching Chekhov for ninety minutes. Yeah, it says here that picture. Then also shy. in 1980. Oh, go ahead. No, please do. Oh, I was. You know what? I'm just looking through. Uh, if Chins Could Kill, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend, but he's talking about moon trapping here. It says it was shot in a warehouse completely. They used uh, concrete for moon dirt. Oh yeah. It takes place on the moon. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm. IMDb trivia about the, the moon dirt, um, since it was just concrete, um, there was signs all over the set that said, uh, no liquids past this point. Yeah. <laughs> so if it spilled on the concrete, it turned into concrete. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. No, I, unless anybody else has anything to say with, about moon trap, I was just going to move on. Fair enough. Then also in 1989, he did a movie called Sundown Vampire in Retreat, where he played Van Helsing. So, Bruce Campbell, right? He's the man. He's played Elvis, Van Helsing, and Ash. Nice. Anybody seen this one? Sundown Vampire in Retreat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, me neither. I've seen the I've seen it in video stores. And yeah, I've, just never I've seen it. the DVD before, but I've never. I don't remember where. Um, it was directed by um, Anthony uh, Hickox, who uh, did both of the Waxworks movies, and everybody's favorite Hellraiser three. So there you go. Okay, so I know this next one. 
one you guys haven't seen, but uh, I want to bring it up because I love this movie and I have it on I have it on DVD um, from 19, also from 1989, and it's it's pretty insignificant on Bruce Campbell's um, um, filmography, but I, I wanted to bring it up because I I, I, find, I find it really interesting, and that's a movie called Dead Next Door. Uh, it was a movie shot for $75,000 in Akron, Ohio on 8mm by uh, J.R. Bookwalter. And this was the movie that really um, that started a career for J.R. Bookwalter in, in the world of low-budget, micro-budget filmmaking. Uh, he, had his own, he had his own distribution company there for a while called Tempe Video. Um, and he eventually ended up working for Charles Bann at Full Moon. But uh, Dead Next Door... It's a zombie film. Uh, interesting, interesting take on the zombie film. It's pretty traditional in the zombie film, but it's it's obviously way, 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 way after the zombie apocalypse and how society is 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 dealing with it. So, um, the government there's a, go a sanctioned government organization called the Zombie Squad that goes around hunting down zombies, um, and then you also have like. Uh, all these zombie sympathists that uh, don't want you to kill zombies, and uh, there's interesting scenes where there's there's protests outside of uh, uh, outside of the White House of these um, zombie sympathizers with all their picket signs and stuff, and then they get attacked and eaten by zombies. So, uh, and then and there's also this like this another kind of hippie cult that's all about the preservation of zombies and and yeah, and so it turns into this big fight. Between the zombie, between the zombie squad and these, uh, this uh, zombie-loving cult. So, um, but Bruce isn't really in the movie. Um, Sam Raimi was executive producer on this movie. Basically, somehow J.R. Bookwalter had the balls to go up to Bruce, to Sam Raimi, and say, "Hey, would you want to be a producer on this like a uh, movie I'm shooting on eight millimeter film? And my only cre credentials are all these uh, VHS movies that I've shot." Uh, and Bruce is. It's like okay, and basically gives him gives J.R. Bookwalter his, his pay from Evil Dead Two to make Dead Night Store. So there's obviously a lot of a lot of love and reference to Sam Raimi and those guys um, in that era. Evil Dead. There's a scene where Evil Dead is on the uh, is on the TV. <coughs> these these guys are watching, and I was I was wondered like you know, how did they get the rights to have Evil Dead shown on the TV? TV in this movie, and then after I learned that uh, Sam Raimi produced it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense now. <clears throat> but what they did is, and I'm assuming this is this was Sam's kind of stepping in and 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 his notes, like the whole movie, since it was shot on eight millimeter, the whole movie, all the dialogue is overdubbed, and Bruce Campbell uh, did uh, overdub the voice of the lead actor through the whole movie, uh, the character's name. Ironically, was Raimi, um, and Bruce Campbell dubbed. So when you're watching this movie, you're seeing this guy, and you're hearing Bruce Campbell's voice, and you're like, "The guy's voice sounds like Bruce Campbell, but that's not Bruce Campbell." Um, <clears throat> so yeah, just interesting. I just wanted to bring it up. I like the movie a lot, and I just I find the history of it interesting. Um, with the attachment of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and those guys. And Scott Spiegel is in the movie, too. I forgot about that. Scott Spiegel plays a part at the beginning of the movie. He gets, he, spoiler, but he gets killed off pretty quickly. But uh, um, he's even in the movie. He's on the zombie squad at the beginning of the movie. So, Okay. 
But uh, needless to say, that was also the first and last <laughs> time that J.R. Brookwalter and Sam Raimi ever worked together. So, um, Moving on from there, uh, 1990 was Maniac Cop 2. Uh, also in 1990, um, Sam, Sam was back in the director's chair and he did the movie Dark Man. And I, all I know is I remember where I was, sitting in the theater watching Dark Man, and right there at the very end, when you have Liam Neeson's narration about uh, about everything right there at the end, and the and Dark Man runs out in the street and the girl follows him, but Dark Man had just put on another face, and she can't find mm-hmm. him amongst the crowd of people. But right there at the very end, turned around and it's Bruce's big old chin on the screen. I mm-hmm. stood up and cheered. I'm like, "Woo, Bruce!" <laughs> <laughs> So Dark Man, yeah, it, I mean, not really a Bruce Campbell vehicle. He is only in the movie for like two seconds, but he's credited as Final Shemp. <laughs> but I don't think we really talked about uh, Dark Man before. So, um, uh, what are your thoughts on Dark Man, Dustin? Um, I think the Dark Man character probably had to use the remaining supply of flesh to create that mask for the Bruce Campbell character at the end of the movie just because his chin is so incredibly <laughs> large. <laughs> no, I love Dark Man. I I like that movie. Yeah, not not necessarily a Bruce Campbell movie, but man, it's it's gory and it's the makeup of the Dark Man himself, Liam Neeson's character is just mm. the coolest makeup, you know, just like half eaten off yeah. jaw. I mean, it's just gruesome. Looks so good. And even today, his the character makeup still holds up, I think, 100%. And it's just, it's disgusting to look at. And it's it's like an anti-hero type movie. And it's it's like a comic book movie. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's, you know, having Sam Raimi do those Spider-Man movies were perfect because this is, I guess, how he would have cut his teeth on, on that type of genre, in a way. Do you think this movie helped him get the Spider-Man movies? I mean, granted, I know it was a couple decades later by the time Spider-Man came around, but I don't know, because I always saw this movie as, like, especially at the time in 1990, like, this was the best thing. This was, like, the best superhero movie I'd seen ever. And granted, it's not based off of anything. It's an original concept, but... It was everything I wanted to see in a superhero movie back in 1990. To, to answer your question, I would say yes, just because he did use a scene from Darkman in the first Spider-Man movie. <laughs> he did? Not. Yes, he did. He used uh, – <clears throat> there's a scene when uh, – how it, it's, it's kind of like an inner monologue of Liam Neeson's character where um, he's kind of inside his own head. It's kind of it's very special effects like it's like you know lightning and stuff. He uses the exact same scene for when Peter Parker is has just been bitten and he passes out um, mm. that night. He uses the exact same scene for that, which mm. is really neat. Cool. So I say yeah, yeah. That's uh, it was. I think it helped for sure. It's a good movie too. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Great movie, and that was. I think that was at the height of Sam Raimi's experimentation with like where he's putting the camera and and crazy camera moves and 
and was definitely had a definite love for blue for the green screens for sure yeah <laughs> some of which doesn't really hold up you know we could definitely get into more of that when we get to army darkness but uh yeah but again the concept is cool an original idea i mean they could easily made any you know comic book property at that time but they went with something original you know and the the, the gruesomeness of the character itself kind of dips its toes a little bit in the horror genre kind of a uh, kind of a phantom of the opera meets batman kind of concept so mm -hmm. yeah. john what are your thoughts on dark man i really like dark man i thought liam neeson did a excellent job in it um i really liked larry drake i can't remember he was the villain i can't remember what he's what his uh, name was in it because in the second movie it's called the return of whatever his name was, I believe. But uh, <clears throat> um, I really liked him. Of course, I've always liked Larry Drake and just about everything he's done. Dr. Giggles, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Um, but Dark Man, I thought was good. And, I, and I'm and i like you, Mike. I, I thought that was so cool at the end where, you know, you he turns around and it's he's got Bruce Campbell's face. I thought that was, that was really cool. <laughs> um, I... You know, it, it was, you know, and it was the first time we'd really seen, I think, seen an actual, in the theater, a superhero movie, like you said, since 89's Batman. And everybody yeah. was, everybody was so pumped to see that because we had never seen a, you know, a big screen version of Batman before other than back when, you know, the TV show was going on and then they released the theatrical Batman the movie. But uh, <laughs> that was yeah. the first time we had seen an actual uh superhero movie since Batman and that had just been the year before so I mean to see Darkman and it wasn't it wasn't like your it wasn't like your typical superhero with a cape and all of this you know flying through the city it was you know it was kind of a darker you know it was just a darker version of a superhero which I thought was you know really cool mm -hmm. uh, I really you know I would like to have seen Liam Neeson continue on to the second and third ones they got the guy that plays uh, the mummy the guy that played the I can't remember what his name was in the in the movie with um, Brendan Fraser the he played the mummy in the mummy in the mummy 2 it was that actor he played I think he went on to play Darkman in the second and I think third one but um, okay. <clears throat> but the first I really liked the first one I don't remember a whole lot of the second and third I do have them but I have not. I have never seen the third one. But I have seen parts of the second one. I haven't seen. If I've seen all of it, it's been a while. But I. But I do know that the guy from the movie, you know, went on to play Liam Neeson, the actual Dark Man. Uh, oh, Dur Durant, Durant, Durant. That was, yeah, uh, yeah. Who, That's who he played. That's who uh, Larry Drake played. Uh, but no, I, I like the idea. The whole the whole idea of the whole story was cool, you know. And then his face and then he could only keep on keep it on for so long and then it would you know it would disintegrate so he had to keep mm -hmm. changing faces i thought that was kind of kind of cool that whole idea and uh yeah i i really liked it and i kind of wish they would you know kind of wish they would have continued on with with it a little bit longer but uh or like i said even and i don't know what the deal was why liam you know why neeson didn't continue to be in the second and third ones maybe they were lower budget maybe he had done the first one and that's all he wanted to do I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, because the other two were directed to video releases, so mm -hmm. um, I'd imagine that probably the pay wasn't there for them. 
It's mm-hmm. not like he exploded directly after Darkman, but you know, yeah. crap, look at Liam Neeson today, though. So, yeah, but I would have loved to have seen that in the, you know, on you know, on the big screen. I th- I think that's cool that you got to see it because that's one yeah. that I re- I really would have liked to have seen. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun on the big screen. The movie itself is a lot of fun. And you mentioned that you know, I mean, really, really up to that point, we had we had the Superman movies and we had Batman from '89. Um, mm-hmm. And like I was definitely way into Batman '89 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go back and that watch that film now; it's obviously extremely dated. But there was even th- aspects of that movie that I still I recognize as like, okay, this is still not what I think a, a superhero movie could be. And mm-hmm. and Darkman offered a lot more of that. You know, I mean, crap. You know, Darkman is he's like swinging from from gurneys and stuff, and he's like jumping around doing all this stuff. You didn't get that with Michael Keaton Batman. The guy could no. barely, barely uh, pivot at the waist, let alone, um, <laughs> let alone be swinging from the rafters. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Terry, did you see Darkman? I have, but it's been so long since I've seen it that I don't know what I can really input. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you too, John. Like Larry, D- Larry Drake was awesome in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I, I I like seeing Larry Jake in just about anything, except for I was not a fan of Dr. Giggles, but I think mm-hmm. I need to go back and revisit it. I hadn't seen it since it first came out on video, and mm-hmm. I even shut it off as soon as the one guy gets killed by the giant band-aid. So, like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Click. But, um, so, I need to I need to go back and revisit it. But uh, um, but he's, he's just badass in that movie. Oh, yeah. He's got that little cigar trimmer <clears throat> thing, and he cuts mm-hmm. off guys' fingers with it. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Oh, he plays an excellent villain in in the you know in the movies. I yeah. I thought he was I thought he was great. Yeah. And uh, and Ted Raimi's in it too. Too good old Ted's in it at one point, getting beat up again. <laughs> Sam just puts him in his movies just to beat up on him. So, but hey, he got a career out of it, so can't complain, can he? <clears throat> Any other? Uh, any other thoughts on Darkman? Uh, Sam, you have anything you want to input on about Darkman? Um, I just love it, you know. It's like a live-action comic book. But, uh, yeah, you know, Bruce is obviously just in it at the end, but still a great movie. Heck yeah. Great movie. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. It's been so long. Really? Yeah. Yeah, just so many so many great lines to Are quote. You? Very cool. A while back, they had at Walmart. They had all three movies in a, in a like a three pack box for five bucks. Oh wow! And that's mm-hmm. that's when I got them was when they had the three movies. So. And I saw I saw Darkman too at like freaking Walgreens and like the five dollar bin. I should have should have picked it up. Walgreens. Nice. <laughs> I would think I would just probably get just the Shout Factory. I don't think I need to. I've never seen them. No desire to. I just feel like everything's probably okay with that first one. <laughs> Marvel Comics even did a comic book after the first movie came out. They did a very short-lived uh, Darkman comic book. So. Yeah, I think uh, just a side note. I think I think it was during Darkman that. They were kind of having trouble with the script, so they like took a break. Sam Raimi and his brother, and they wrote a uh, "Drag Me to Hell." Oh, just, just 
interesting note. I know Drag Me to Hell, yeah, it was an old concept that they had from back in the day, but I, yeah, I guess I never knew from when specifically, so that's interesting. Yeah, I think they wrote it during that time. Sweet. Sweet, sweet. So moving on, um, 1991, he was in a movie called Lunatic, A Love Story. Uh, had a couple small parts in that, but it starred Ted Raimi, so Ted Raimi finally getting the spotlight. And... One of my favorite women from the 80s, Deborah Foreman. Oh, yeah. Deborah Foreman. Mm. Anyway, um, that, one, that one was directed by Josh Becker, who also came from that uh, group of Michigan folk. Anybody seen it? Let me take a love story. Nope. No. It, uh, it's been forever, and I don't remember much about it. I just remember, like, basically it's like two completely neurotic people that end up meeting and falling in love um, there's a lot of special effects in it it's it's more of a it's more of a romantic comedy with like the kind of like the sick sick twist um, that horror fans would like to see uh, like uh, Ted Raimi's a shut-in and he just keeps having these weird visions that keep him from leaving his apartment like giant spiders and weird shit like that but uh, yeah it was Interesting little film. Um, it's got um, a really, really cool poster. Uh, which one is that that you're seeing? Oh, it's on IMBD. It's got Ted Raimi wrapped in foil and uh, oh yeah, sp- spiders. I think that's how he ends up leaving his apartment. He finally just wraps himself up in foil so he can leave his apartment. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> 1992. He was, uh, Bruce was in the movie Waxwork 2. Yeah. Yeah. So was, that was, and that was the best scene of that movie, too, with uh, Bruce. <laughs> it really is. Terry, have you seen either of the Waxworks movies? No. Oh, they're awesome. She yeah. hasn't seen them, but she's definitely met Zach Galligan. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, what's great about the Waxwork movie, and I wish it was a fan- franchise that would have kept going after two, uh, it's because it was a great concept to be able to dip your toes into any horror subgenre. It's yeah. basically if you cross the rope in these wax, these uh, wax exhibits in this wax museum, you end up in the exhibit, and you get to see. You get to see, you know, werewolf, vampires, all kinds of stuff. And the second one, I don't think it's as strong as the first one because it really derails there for a good chunk it of does. the movie and the whole Marque de Sade storyline. But everything before that and after that is great. Everything yeah. after is excellent. Yeah, when when they are sword fighting through the different exhibits there yeah. at the end, that was awesome because they end up in like a black and white zombie movie they end up in like a in a in a mall fighting zombies yeah. uh, what's great <laughs> is like their outfits change every time too so like when they're in the dawn of the dead world there's disco music playing and they're wearing bell bottoms as they're yeah. sword fighting and they end up in a Godzilla one where, where their words aren't matching their mouths it's just great that whole um, jumping through the exhibits there at the end was was I, no, it wasn't even the exhibits. It was all time travel in that one. Yeah, it's all, it's all yeah, during the yeah, lost in time and it, yeah. 
it has one of the most like that alien scene, the alien ripoff scene is so oh, yeah. gross. It's so <laughs> it's, aliens like literally squishing people like zits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so good. I think there's like an airplane reference in there too because it's they're all getting infected by the aliens by eating the fish, I think. Like like, did you have the fish or did you have the chicken or whatever? Oh, I can't. Yeah. I can't remember. If, I don't know if that's an airplane reference or not, but like, it makes me think of airplane, but just like nice. in an alien world. <laughs> but the Bruce Campbell scene now. Um, yes. They, they end up. Was that scene in black and white? I can't remember. It is. It is. Okay. And it's definitely one of those things. Like, we're hiring Bruce Campbell to play this character. This isn't like Bruce Campbell auditioned and here's the part that you get. This is like. This is written for Bruce Campbell. It totally had to have been. Yeah, it was to beat him up. They know yeah. he can take a beating. <laughs> <laughs> they know the audience loves and laughs at Bruce Campbell getting beaten up. Um, it's very um, uh, Legend of Hell House. I think that was the initial film re- reference. Uh, it's in black and white, and uh, these people uh, investigating this haunted house thing. And like Bruce Campbell's like the lead guy, and he's got the sweater vest and the glasses, and you know the pipe, he's smoking a pipe. And I can't remember the series of events where you know people just start getting knocked off, and then Zach Gallagher ends up in the basement, where Bruce Campbell is like tied up to a cross with his whole chest cavity exposed. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's all these really funny Army Darkness style gags where Zach's trying to free him, but like somehow a bag of salt hits him in the chest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or he frees him, and the whole thing just falls over, and he lands face first, and <coughs> really funny stuff. Really funny stuff. I think they. I mean, obviously, I think both movies had a lot of comedy in them, but they really went full bore comedy in the second um, Black Sports movie. Yeah, they did. It's it's really laugh out loud. I mean, it's yeah. it's excellent. Yeah, gets really slapsticky there with Bruce's part. So, Sam, did you see Waxwork too? I uh, no, I have not. Okay, fair enough. Uh, John, I haven't seen the second one. I've seen the first one quite a few times, and I really, really like the first one. And I've always wanted to see the second one, uh, but I just never have had a chance to. To catch it, but I'm glad that Zach Galligan's back in it because you know a lot of times they, you know, might change actors or something because they wouldn't appear or whatever. But I'm I'm glad to see that Zach Galligan's back in it now. Is the the lady that plays Sarah is that the same actress that played in the first one? No, that was no, I was going to yeah. bring that up. Um, that they didn't get. I mean, they didn't get because it was Deborah Foreman in the first oh, movie. Oh, that's right, that's right. And I don't even remember who the actress was in the second one. And I wonder. So I remember being at a certain horror convention and sitting at a certain panel, um, listening to a certain actor who happened to be in the in the Waxworks movies, talking about, <laughs> and it was a question I even asked, who was, a, <laughs> who was a better kisser, Deborah Foreman or Phoebe Cates, two of my um, crushes from the 80s. Um, and this guy got to kiss both of them, lucky bastard. And... Um, and he tells me that uh, he, he tells a story about how like it was awkward kissing Deborah Foreman because she was dating the director at the time. Mm. So I wonder. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's probably rather 
um, high schoolish assumption of me to assume that she doesn't return for the sequels because she broke up with her boyfriend. But mm. I mean, you don't know. You don't know. Maybe. Was that that certain convention that I might have missed? That was a certain convention. <laughs> no, I might have figured missed. it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think John. I think the first one is definitely a much better movie. Um, mm -hmm. Like the second one, like I said, it definitely definitely goes way more for the comedy. Mm -hmm. But uh, and I I just I think I like the look of the monsters a lot better in the second one. And then there's this whole like the whole like second act of this movie is just focused in one particular er time era and it's the Marky Desaad. So you're not getting any cool monsters or anything like that. kind of turns into this S&M love story for a little while. Mm -hmm. And it it actually is kind of boring until like until like the uh, uh, Zack and the main bad guy are fighting with swords and they're just jumping through time. Yeah, and it then it gets makes... awesome. It, it kind of makes you wish there was like a producer's cut of this where they cut out a lot of that and <laughs> because it that part does drag on but once it kicks back in it's you know it's good again but if you can get past that drop off point there in the middle you know you're going to love it like, cuz John if you love the first one then you're going to mm -hmm. like this one so okay. I mean it's it's good does do they revisit in the second one do they revisit any of the uh uh, like stories or the little, you know, where they they went behind the velvet ropes and they would like enter into like the like the Wolfman and there was Dracula and all that. Do they re revisit any of those stories in the second one? Well, I don't think there's any um, references to any of the waxworks from the first movie. Yeah, I think they really time and dimension, not necessarily, mm -hmm. but they lead up to that how it how that changes though. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think the point being is that they were really trying to go for genres they didn't get a chance to tackle in the uh, in the first yeah. film. So they stayed away from doing another werewolf one or another vampire one or the one mm -hmm. I was wanted to see was the Little Shop of Horrors one. You get to see the plant there in the first movie, mm -hmm. and it even says like "Feed me" as the one guy's feeding the the, the midget butler. To yeah. The, to oh, the I love that guy. That guy was so cool. <laughs> And I was like, man, I want to see what goes on on the other side of the rope with that one. I loved it when he he bows, you know, and then he flips back up and his hair goes flipping back, you know. <laughs> I love that little guy. I wonder if the, is the second one on Netflix or either one? Well, I've got the first one. I haven't watched it for a while, but is the second one on Netflix? I don't know. I have it's it on. Okay. It, it was. It had been. Oh. And then they took them both off. They had them both on there. Bummer. I ha I have both of them on a on a single disc DVD. Oh okay. Put up put up by Artiston. Oh, okay. That's what I got too. Which is a bummer. I would love it if they were both single discs with bonus features, but. Mhm. Mm Mine is on one of those eight uh <clears throat> one of those eight film things that um I can't remember the company that oh, was. Oh yeah. But it had it plus a whole bunch of other ones and I. I can't remember what what other ones are on there with it, but I've also got another one that's got like Blood Diner and all of those on it. But oh, Blood Diner, nice. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the same one that's got Blood Diner on it. But I've got like you know two or three that are like that. They all kind of came out at Walmart at one time, like around Halloween one year. Yeah, I just don't know. I just I don't understand why. I mean, that's definitely a movie that I thought 
could have gotten a lot more movies in the franchise. I, I should have brought that one up when we did our franchise episode. Um, is is the waxwork movies? They could have easily kept going. They could have done. They could have done references till the end of time with that concept. I don't know if maybe just the second one didn't didn't do as well or what, but oh, it's a bummer. And then the fact that kind of both those movies, um, no pun intended, lost uh, lost time. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it'd be nice to get a nice Blu-ray from uh, Shout Factory on the uh, Waxworks movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? He probably already did. Freaking Shout Factory does everything. All right. So moving on. We'll move on. Um, in 92, he did a movie called Mind Warp with Angus Scrim. Anybody seen that? Yes. I own it on VHS. Oh, cool. I've never, I've never seen it. Tell us about it. It's basically very much like the Matrix is like uh, it's it's like this post-apocalyptic world where people are dialed into a machine and they live out their their most happiest fantasies. And uh, one of the girls um, who's being hooked up decides that um, that she's she's done with it. You know, she wants to experience what the real world has to offer instead of being, you know, hooked up to this machine and and living out these fantasies, you know, as if they were real. And she she kind of busts out of this compound, and she's like out in this vast wasteland where she meets like this Mad Max type Bruce Campbell character. Um, and they do it, and then they meet yeah. Angus Scrim. <laughs> That's. That's what I'm trying to remember. That uh, wouldn't give too much away. It's really good. I haven't seen it in a in a really long time, but it's definitely a good performance by Bruce and Angus at the same time. Really good movie. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten any kind of uh, DVD or Blu-ray release because uh, it could definitely be like a cult classic for sure. Huh? Yeah, it sounds interesting. Um, I've just I honestly don't think I've ever even heard of it before. And when I saw Angus Scrim was in it too, I'm like, oh, really? You don't get enough Angus Scrim outside of the Tall Man, really? Never. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, didn't He's movie... pretty much the Tall Man in this, though. That's fine. Is he? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, but didn't that movie come out of like Fangoria or something? Oh, is that one of like their a... one of their produced ones that they did back in the early '90s? I thought they had something to do with it, yeah. Maybe. That actually sounds that sound, actually sounds familiar. And it would make sense having both of those horror icons in it. Hmm. So Dustin's the only one that's seen it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. I'll let you borrow it. Sweet. I'm glad somebody has, because I was, I was really curious about it. Okay, and then also the same year in 1992, he did quite a Quite a bit of work in 92, actually. Um, but that was also when Army Darkness came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The third in the Evil Dead trilogy. Anything new to add about Army Darkness? Yeah, like I was just I was going to ask Dustin if he'd made his complete edited version yet. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been, you should see this, uh, document i have on my computer that i've been writing for an episode it's it's very large it's going to be a very long episode and very detailed about the army of darkness so 
I'm gonna say my piece with that when it finally comes out, and then I'll just kind of be done with it. So, love the movie. I'll watch it anytime, every time, and I pretty much know every line of the movie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is awesome. Um, the only thing that really kind of what, what the only thing that really bugs me about the movie is is just how how bad some of that green screen stuff looks like nowadays. Yeah, I'm not sure it holds up as well, but yeah. like for what what for what example? Like like um, one of them that really bothers me because it doesn't feel like prospectively it, it, it matches. Um, but when the car flips over and blows up, and I think uh. I think it's Ash laying in the foreground, like that car looks to be like Bohemoth's eyes <laughs> in comparison to Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Like it just physically doesn't match. But there's always just kind of like a um, almost as if. A look like a degeneration in the film stock anytime you have some green screen action going on and a lot of those scenes in Army of Darkness literally looks like the, the film quality is deteriorated in comparison to the rest of the movie anytime there's there's a green green screen action going on so and that's that's what I'm gonna be talking a lot about is that you know if there were a new version that were to be released that stuff can be fixed I mean you watch you think, some behind right? the scenes. Should be able to. You like watch some of those behind the scenes uh, footage of Shout Factory and Scream Factory doing the work on their you know season releases of you know DVDs and Blu-rays, you know them going through every frame and and you know taking out things and just fixing overall fixing a special effect that was done in the movie is incredible. So I mean it's that that can be fixed and that can look way better. I'm almost positive it can. Should we, should we get in a whole philosophical <laughs> debate on whether or not you should fix those things? Uh, I don't know. I think I think if it's the original movie, you can fix it. But you know, because I feel like that's why people do remakes. Well, let's let's remake Poltergeist because you know we can make the doll look better. You know, we can make the effects in the closet look better. You know, I feel like that's you know why, why fix it in the original? We can just make a new one. Fix the original. It's not broken. I mean, all, parts. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for fixing these. I mean, fixing these things because on one side of the one side of the coin here, it's like, you know, Army Darkness anymore kind of takes me out of the little of the movie a little bit when when um, when those effects aren't don't hold up as well. But then on the other side of the spectrum too, I'm like, do we? How? Where's that line? Where's that line of like? You know, when does it go from let's clean stuff up to um, we're replacing guns with walkie-talkies? Yeah, it's just that's great to say. I mean, there is it, when you're if there's George Lucas out there, yeah, then there there is no line. So no, <laughs> he's crossed that line. Remember, Han shot first. So yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever want to watch Plane from Outer Space without being able to see the wires that's connected to the spaceships. Well, and that's kind of a different story, though. I mean, that's... Yeah, well, I know that's an extreme, but you, you know what I'm saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're watching Star Wars and you see some strings in Star Wars, you're like, man, come on. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you don't expect it in Star Wars. Yeah. That's true. 
Oh, well. Okay. Moving on. Um, then he uh, worked with his old buddies, the Coen brothers, again in 94 on Hudsucker Proxy. And then he really started getting into TV there for a while with his um, starring role. You know, and here's the thing, okay? Other than, like, the, uh, the Evil Dead movies... He never really was the the star of any, of any of the stuff that he did. It was either like bit parts or secondary characters. And now you get a very awesome TV show by the name of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. That unfortunately lasted like a season and a half. And he is the star of the show. And it was an awesome show. Did anybody ever get to see Adventures of Briscoe County Jr.? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, they nice. have it at Walmart right now, box set for like twelve <gasps> bucks. Yeah. I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> twelve bucks? Yeah, it's super cheap. I was surprised because I think that was like a hundred dollar box set when it came out. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I totally need to get that. I loved his horse in that. They treated his horse like it was just a person. Like the horse got to yeah. go inside the saloon with him and all that. Anyway, so that's the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Unless anybody has anything they want to add to that. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> he was in Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead, but he was cut out. But see, yeah. now it just kind of feels like we're starting to get into the era now of him being in more mainstream material. Because then you get Congo in 95... Which I remember seeing Congo in the theater, not realizing Bruce was in it, and pleasantly surprised yeah, to see him right show up. Yeah. Uh, more TV. He was in Lois and Clark, The Further Adventures of Superman, um, in a show called American Gothic, uh, Homicide. Now we're all the way up to 97, where he plays the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills in Escape from L.A., Pretty much strange. unrecognizable, yeah. other than his voice. Mm-hmm. Strange press, yeah. Makeup on his face, and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's still awesome in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good part. Short. It's short, but it's good. I remember seeing that in the theater and realizing, that, hey, there's Bruce Campbell and cheering in that moment too. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the closest thing we'll ever see to Ash. Versus um, Snake Plissken. Uh, Snake Plissken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but let's see. Moving on. Um, more TV stuff. Turning my page. Uh, he was in. He was in the Tom Arnold vehicle in '97. Michaela's Navy. Yeah. Mm. Which I had a wild hair up my butt and rewatched it on Netflix a couple months back. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's got a lot of cool people in it. Not Tom Arnold. Oh. And then he had a reoccurring stint for the longest time in the first couple seasons of um, Ellen's sitcom. Hmm. Anybody remember that? I do. Yeah, I think he, he in his book, he wrote that he was gen- genuinely interested in dating her and that this was before she had came out and, yeah. and then she, I think she had told him like 
that you know she wasn't interested in men, <laughs> which you know. Well, yeah, well, because the the episodes that he was in, like the first season or two, he was in, and I don't know what happened to his character. I didn't watch it consistently, but it kind of seemed like by by that point they like revamped a lot of things. He was gone. And there was different things about the show, but it wasn't until like towards towards the end of the run is when she I mean that was the show that was the TV show that that she came out of the closet on like she was mm-hmm. doing that show at the time and they actually did an episode where her character comes out of the closet and then from then on out the rest of the show was just nothing about be, was 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 just all about being a lesbian yeah <laughs> You know, I mean, which is fine and everything, but that wasn't what the show was about beforehand. So it just really felt like a forced uh, uh, um, plot point there for the rest of the show. So then moving on, um, 99 he did From Dust Till Dawn 2. Who all seen From Dust Till Dawn 2? I have. Mm-hmm. He's just at the beginning again, unfortunately. Is that the one with what? the elevator? Yeah, and Kelly Kapowski, I think. And Kelly Kapowski, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have not um, seen it. Yeah. Like I said, I think that one was directed by um, Scott Spiegel, or maybe he at least produced it. I don't remember. Uh, okay. Uh, again, did a lot of TV back when Raimi started producing a lot of different TV shows like Xena, Warrior Princess, Hercules, and then the Bruce Campbell vehicle, Jack. Jack of all trades. anybody ever ever watch Jack of all trades? Mm-hmm. I've seen some of it. A little bit. No. You never did. It's... What? You skipped, you skipped over his X Files episode. Does anyone remember his episode? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I saw that. About he, it. he plays like a demon, right? Yeah, he he's playing a demon that wants to have a normal baby. But all all the women he knocks up, the babies keep having like horns and shit. <laughs> That's all I remember. Like he this just is the next Files episode? Yeah. Okay. Like he goes around knocking up women, trying to produce a normal human baby or something like that. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> so what's he do? Just goes around like, oh, well, that didn't work. Fair. Let's go for another one. Something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it was a good episode. I don't think it really had... it had much to do with the whole like X-Files backstory or anything like it was just one of those weird ones in there yeah. is that earlier it, on during the run of X-Files? that was when no. they started to get kind of goofy and like yeah it was like the fifth didn't they do like a, season they did like a Brady Bunch episode around that same time no. they started kind of going out the one. deep end what? <laughs> we're talking X-Files right? yeah, yeah. they're like in okay, some just alternate sure. Like some alternate Brady Bunch universe or something like that. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what? Then, then I obviously did not watch enough X-Files. Well, then like one of the last seasons had when Mulder was took away, when he left the show for like a season, they had Robert Patrick kind of come in and was kind of the replacement for him. Mm-hmm. Was there an episode where they discovered he was an android from the future? Mm, don't think so. But. Okay. This, they've they've got all the seasons of X Files on Netflix. I'm gonna have to look for this episode 
with yeah it's season season six episode seven is what imdb is saying okay is that bruce campbell one go watch it yeah i love netflix i just absolutely love it (laughs) (laughs) i'm still i still can't believe it still fresh and new that's so great speaking of tv did anyone see uh weird science back in the day Heck yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the USA Network, and it starred, um, it had the girl that was in the movie Kingpin um, in replacement of Kelly LeBrock as the uh, as the, the weird science girl. Right. That always stood out to me, because I'm like, oh, that girl's from Kingpin. <laughs> yeah, I had a crush on her back in the day. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, you can watch you can watch Bruce's episode on IMBD. He plays a genie. This uh a genie named Gene. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. But that was a good one. I will have to watch that. That was that was also during the time of like USA doing all this original programming. And anybody remember the cartoon Duckman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh yeah, that, that that was like in the early days of like adult or branded screwed up uh, animation. So like I don't think people knew what to do with that. Okay. Moving on. Unless anybody has anything else they want to say about USA Network. Oh. oh Ironically. Yeah, I, I loved you. Ironically, Bruce Campbell's most yeah loved is appropriate. Now it's just like all just uh, CSI episodes or whatever. Or Burn Notice, which ah oh, see how I brought it back around to Bruce. See ah yeah, <laughs> but that's later. We're still in the um, late nineties here. Actually, going into the early 2000s, 2002, with Bubba Hotep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to me, this this felt like Bruce's his true, real return to horror. Even though, you know, the horror element's really questionable, but it doesn't matter. Like, Bubba Hotep is freaking awesome. Still love this movie. So good. Yeah, he's almost to the point now where if they ever decided to do some kind of sequel, he wouldn't have to wear any makeup. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's appropriate Aww. age. He's getting a little more bloated. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't worry, Jerry. He's still a handsome cut of a man. It's, oh, I know. agree. Just stop picking on him, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bubba Hotep, directed by Don Cassarelli, who did the Phantasm movies. Such a fan of Don Cassarelli, because he does not do traditional storylines for his movies, man. Phantasm movies, which are effed. Bubba Hotep, which is whacked out. Um, John dies at the end, which is awesome. (coughs) Bizarre. Bubba Hotep. What a concept, right? Elvis does not. Elvis did not actually die. He ended up in a retirement home in, te- in South Texas. 
um, where he's best friends with a black guy who thinks he's JFK, and the the retirement home gets invaded by an Aztec mummy, and JFK and Elvis have to fight to save the people from the retirement home. <laughs> That's the movie. That's just crazy, craziest thing you ever heard. It's that crazy. sounds like something. Yeah, it sounds like it's like a skit you would have seen in Amazon Women on the Moon, not a full-length feature yeah. film. And it's crazy how they can take such a cheeseball concept and make it, you know, a legitimately, you know, touching drama. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's they don't. Really, mm-hmm. It's awesome how straight they play it. Yeah. I mean, there's a I couple mean, of. Yeah. There's a couple of gags in there, like when the Aztec mummy, you know, curses and and you sh- you see the hieroglyphics as the uh, as the subtitles, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> or or the fact that the mummy was doing graffiti on the bathroom walls, you know, stuff like that. But for the most part, it's played 100% straight. Yeah, I kind of I I'll admit I got kind of choked up at the end the first time I saw it. Yeah, it's yeah, me too. Yeah. It's uh, not to ruin anything, but Yeah. I you know, I I think this might be uh Bruce's best performance actually. I'm yeah. with yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, there's not too many other movies where he shows that kind of range. I mean he's really you know, and he plays two different characters technically. He's doing double duty. Sebastian in half, the uh Elvis impersonator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's like one of those rare performances that you see from an actor. I mean, granted, yes, he's behind the sideburns and the sunglasses and the makeup, but the actor is lost in the role. Like, you lose Bruce Campbell. You're not watching Bruce Campbell. You're watching old fat Elvis. <laughs> True, and, yeah. and and really, you know, he never got a chance to be in a in a full feature film to really show his acting chops. I mean, look at Bubba Hotep and try to find something that came before it that was, you know, with a with a good director, um, where he was in the movie more than you know five minutes. It just seems like everything he's ever been in before this, you know, for a while was just all short stuff or TV series. This just gave him a chance to really just like unleash a character get absorbed by it and do a great performance which we all know we all knew that he could do yeah you're absolutely right mm-hmm. i mean this is a guy who he's like an icon but if you go back and look at like the stuff and most of the stuff through the 80s and if it wasn't an, an evil dead movie he's playing literally bit parts not even like secondary characters or you know side characters they're bit parts like a lot of his filmography during that time frame didn't even have character names. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, and then even through like the '90s and stuff, it's still only like small parts, or he gets killed off right away, or it's just basically him playing himself. You know, he's never been given the chance to really show any range until this movie, and he freaking knocks it out of the park, and. Dating all the way back to the first time I saw Evil Dead 2, I thought, yeah, this guy is a guy who could probably do just about anything if you give him the chance. You know, just based on based on his physical work alone in that movie, 
I was like, I bet you this guy can also bring that acting chop. He brings it. Okay. And do just about anything. And he proves it to me in here. I mean, yeah, he brings it. Brought it. And there's so few actors on my list that I feel like really lose themselves in a character and need and and he's one of them that yeah absolutely brought it for me it's it's Bruce Campbell and Gary Gary Oldman those are the two actors that like like sometimes I'm not really watching a Gary Oldman movie I'm watching I'm watching Sid Vicious John what are your thoughts on Bubba Hotep I actually have never seen it I have always what? I have always wanted to see it, but I have never got to see it. <sighs> John. Uh, <laughs> he just got Netflix. I mean, come on, guys. Is it is it on there? No, no. that's not on Now, well, <laughs> you guys are getting me all wound up. <laughs> yeah. Quit teasing me, Jason. Quit teasing me. I think his point is that you're so caught up oh. in watching everything imaginable on Netflix. I you know. You don't have time for Bubba Hotep. That's probably true, but oh I oh I definitely would if I if I <laughs> find it. I'll definitely watch it. I've I've wanted to see it for a long time because I love Don Coscarelli and <clears throat> I love all the Phantasm movies and I love I mean I just love him as a director in general, so Yeah, I don't know why I haven't seen it, but I will. Good. Terry Terry, tell him why he needs to see it. Tell me why I need to see it, Terry. Um, Bruce Campbell is Elvis. Uh-huh. The end. Like, what more do you need? <laughs> yeah, that's good enough for me. I'll, I'll watch it on that basis alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we already kind of sold it to anybody who's never seen it. Like, like just, you know, because Bruce is so so good in it. So Yeah, yeah. And it is probably his best performance to date. I think it is. Favorite moments from Bubba Hotep? I love when he's getting uh, cream rubbed on his penis. <laughs> you would like that. You, and, uh, so Sam, you got the uh, you got the Bubba Hotep for. Bubba Hotep reference intro, and I was trying for the life of me to figure out how to work in the cream on the penis into your your intro, but I just gave up on it. Yeah, it's tricky. What does he say? Something about putting cream on his pecker or something? There's a really good line in there somewhere. I'll do my own crankshaft from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Half! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's believable as an old person attempting to fight a bug. He just he uses a fucking bedpan as a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really though, if you were in a home, that's what you would use. I mean, yeah. Don Kelly definitely has uh, a thing for bugs in his movies. Yeah, he does. There's that there's that theme going on in. What? He makes such cool looking ones, why not? 
Yeah, yeah. Even in the first Phantasm movie, remember that scene where the guy, this, you know, he's got that severed finger, and when they open up the box, it like turns into this bug that's flying around. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's one of the best scenes in the movie, right there. That was creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like banging it against the wall, like it's really that strong. <laughs> uh, some good physical comedy right there. <laughs> Any other favorite moments of uh, Bubba Hotep? Yeah, I love when uh, Elvis is going to see Sebastian in half, and uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell is just like he like kneels down and kisses Elvis's ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just <laughs> he's got a pile so, over his face. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just some really good physical physical comedy. Because yes. yeah, you don't really get to see Bruce's face too much when he's Elvis, but as Sebastian in half, he's more. You get to see more of his uh, physical comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I just love those shots of um, uh, JFK and Elvis just going down the hall preparing for battle. Yeah. Yeah. Guy with a guy with a walker, guy in a wheelchair, just slowly moving down the hall, and all this this epic going into battle moment. Mm-hmm. So, Bubba Hotep, nice. So, what? Somebody gonna say something? No. Okay. There was like no noise at all. I don't know where he got that. He was hoping someone would interrupt him. So, there you next. go. What, Jason, you have something? Jason, you have something to say? No. What's next? Uh, 2005, <laughs> he did a movie called Alien Apocalypse. Anybody What? That? Yeah, Alien I was so Apocalypse. psyched for that. I taped that on the VCR, yeah. came home and watched <laughs> it. I wasn't disappointed. It was another one directed by Josh um, Beck- Becker, who did, like, uh, again, he was one of the uh, Michigan guys. But I'm with you, Dustin. I was excited for it too. I still haven't seen it yet. But I was excited for it too because that was <laughs> Not that when that excited. movie came. Well, because here's the thing: when that movie came out, that was around the time there was this buzz about Bruce Campbell making a movie where he's going to play Bruce Campbell and he has to save the world from aliens, and as Bruce Campbell. And I'm thinking, oh, that's so meta, and I want to so see that. And I thought that was what the movie was. But it it's not. That's no. what ended up being. My name is Bruce. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, Terminal Invasion's good. It's. I mean, just know that it's a direct to TV sci-fi type movie. Yeah, it was a sci-fi channel movie, right? Yeah, and it's. I mean, you know what to. You know, as horror fans, we know what to expect with those types of movies. And if you go in thinking that, then you're not let down or blown away or, or anything by this movie. But it's just good to see Bruce acting, and it's pretty much him in a blue T-shirt and brown pants and pretty much playing Ash instead of Bruce Campbell. So it's uh, it's not a bad movie. Yeah, I remember enjoying okay. it. Cool. I had no idea it existed. I think I kind of get that confused crazy. with uh, Alien Apocalypse, though. Wait, isn't that what you said? No, that's yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Terminal Invasion. Did I say Terminal Invasion? 
Yeah. I think you did. Think I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. <clears throat> well, okay. Um. Just killed that, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> 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 oh no, I'm yeah, I'm thinking of terminal invasion. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Start over. Oh. What? But so that was back. In, uh, that was 2002. So you have not seen Alien Apocalypse? Um, no. <laughs> I didn't know either of those existed. <laughs> Is no, sorry. Terminal Invasion, a Bruce Campbell film? Yes. Oh, I didn't have it written down. Wait, is that the one that also has um, Sean Astin in it? No, that's uh, Bruce Campbell's a bald guy. That is Icebreaker. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Which I also own. (laughs) (laughs) Terminal Ovation was directed by Sean Cunningham. Ooh. No kidding. Why didn't I not write that down? Because it says TV movie after it, so why would you? (laughs) Dude, if you saw the list of the ones I actually did write down. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) All right, fair enough. Um... Then also in 2005 is when he uh, directed Man with the Screaming Brain and starred in it. Yeah. Terry Again, loves it. That was a movie that was released like on DVD and sold and kind of hyped. But you have to go in thinking that that's a sci-fi movie. And then you won't be disappointed. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty cheesy. Yeah. But it's... it's- it's like a sci-fi channel movie mixed with their 20-year-old um, Three Stooges Super 8 mentality because it's yeah. very goofy, slapsticky, nothing's taken seriously in the movie kind of thing. But it does have a lot of Ted Raimi in it, too. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it's not to- it's not bad, but if you just go with those <laughs> expectations. Never seen it. I think Ted Raimi's my favorite part in that whole movie. He's just like the... He's trying to speak all of like the current lingo, but it's like early 90s. Like, for shizzle, my nizzle. Uh. Like, and he's... <laughs> oh, like how you talk. Okay. Right. But not cool. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Dang it, doesn't he have an accent? Sorry. Doesn't he also have an accent in it? Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I guess he's Russian. He's a Russian science, scientist assistant. So imagine for Shizzle, my name with a Russian accent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, it may good. sound like this. I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do it. Oh. <laughs> Dang it. Now, wasn't this movie, hadn't they been planning to make this for, like, several years? I think they've been trying to get it produced for a long time. I think so. I mean, because it's definitely uh, it's a passion project. I mean, he he uh, uh, directed it, stars in it. Um, it's got a lot of the a lot of the classic guys in it, like Ted Raimi and so on. So I, I think I think so. that would make sense. Okay, so moving on, uh, 2006, uh, uh, he was in Lucky McKee's film, The Woods. Yeah. 
Good movie. Good uh, movie. It's probably it's probably my least favorite of Lucky's films, though. To be honest with you, I mean, it's good. It's just it's kind of slow, slow going. Not enough to keep me interested. Not even Bruce Campbell. But what's great about Bruce in it? Again, he's it's it's a straight up serious performance. He's not. There's no silliness to it whatsoever. Yeah. So that's just something you don't get to see all the time. Even in Burn Notice, he has his like kind of silly, goofy moments. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just something really dramatic from him. Who else has seen the woods? I can't. I can't remember hardly anything about it. I just thought it was so boring. But <laughs> okay, there's good. a payoff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good payoff. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I just gotta get there though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and wait, isn't Angela Bettis? She's in that one too, right? I don't know. I think she's in it too. It's been a while. Any, like I watch anything done by Lucky McGee. I watch anything with Bruce Campbell. I watch anything with Angela Pettis. But the wood still was like that was a hard pill to swallow, just because it was a slow paced. So, as Sam elegantly put it, uh, is uh, boring. <laughs> so that's the woods, and then in 2007, uh, he also did. Uh, directed and starred in My Name is Bruce. Yeah. Which is, tone-wise, is along the same lines as Man with the Screaming Brain. I think it's better. better. Yeah, I think it's better. better. And I think this movie, this movie wasn't for the mainstream moviegoer slash watcher, whatever you want to call it. This was for us. Like, this was for the fans, and there's references and names and things that he uses that nobody else is going to get unless you've been watching all of his movies up to this point. <laughs> and that's okay with me. It's just that I, I, I don't think he was expecting this movie to really take off, but it was really, it was really for us, I felt. Yeah, I feel like, again, you know, you see him improve as a director here for Man with the Screaming Brain. It's got a lot more kind of Sam Raimi style yeah, camera I, work and whatnot. I feel like there was there had to have been a larger budget for yeah. this movie than The Man with the Screaming Brain. It just Which, visually looks so much better. It's what? hard to compare. Standing up. Yeah, it's such such a great concept too. I know. It's getting kind of dark. Yeah. Who wrote that? Wasn't it like a fan who wrote it? Uh, what? Well, it says Mark Verheiden. I don't know who that is. It might have been. On, can you turn it on, please? <laughs> I'm texting um, him right now that he's not muted. That's what's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he knows. I don't think he does. But, uh, <laughs> well, to sum up the movie, it's basically um, Bruce comes to a small town and there's this um, 
this god of bean curd, which is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Guan Di, right? That's what his name is. Something like that. But <laughs> yeah. And he thinks, Bruce thinks that he's there for this movie, and he thinks it's all part of the plot. And it turns out that the monster's real, and there's, like, this super fan who lives in town, and he kind of calls Bruce to action and wants him to, you know, save the town because he's Bruce Campbell and he can actually do all of those things that he does in the movies. And hilarity ensues. Which is exactly <laughs> what I think would happen if, if you know, that happened around me. I'd probably be like, Bruce, you need to take yeah. care of this. Like, take care of this shit. <laughs> Don't you know how to do this stuff? <laughs> yeah. And there are lots of cameos, too, from people from, like, uh, uh, Danny uh, Hicks. Danny Hicks. I think doesn't Ted Raimi make a small? Nice. I think maybe. And also the butcher yeah. from Army of Darkness or blacksmith, not butcher. <laughs> yeah, him and briefly. him and Dan Hicks end up being like gay lovers by the end of that. Right? Yeah, in like the the town hall meeting. It's so funny. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot of good gags very... in that. Yeah, it's definitely got some good gags. I mean, I just kind of wish it took itself just a little bit more seriously. Because I just like the meta concept of it, of how, like, Bruce Campbell is, is playing himself. And he gets mm-hmm. he gets caught up in this in this situation. Um, it's very Three Amigos. Yeah. <laughs> that. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. A little, yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> we love yeah. Three Amigos! <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. Um, let's see. So it's got uh, Ted Raimi in it. It's got um, doesn't uh, doesn't uh, Ellen Sandweiss from Evil Dead play his wife? Yeah, she plays his wife. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, her character name is even Cheryl in it. Or, yeah. Which was which was her name in Evil Dead? Um, Dan Hicks. Looking for more of these guys. I can't remember the uh, blacksmith's name. You mean Butcher? No. (laughs) 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 There's just there's tons of just little tidbits for for the fans. Yeah, and even like some you know not stuff from his movies, but like behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I think there's a line in there where he says, "Hey kid, I can do anything. I made a movie in Bulgaria." All right. <laughs> yeah, and the and the booze that he he drinks is like called it's like Shimps something, something or other is what the yeah. name brand is. Shimps old time whiskey yeah. or something. Yeah. Nice. I didn't catch that one. <laughs> so we've mentioned that term a few times here, shimp. Uh, anybody want to explain to people at home what what shimping is? Well, I think it's a, a reference to the Three Stooges and, uh, you know, <laughs> Shimp Howard, one of the Stooges, he, he died when they were still making their shorts. I think he had like a heart attack and they, they hadn't finished a short, so they had to get someone stand in as a fake shimp. So I think that's where the term comes from. 
Yeah, so anytime Sam Raimi and those guys would have somebody stand in for somebody, they called it shemping. So, so it's a term that they've coined, and I like I like to think a, um, a lot of other filmmakers use use that term. Yeah, I've seen it on end credits yeah. before in other movies. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. So now we're kind of getting into present day. It's, you know, you know, he makes a very brief appearance at the end of the Evil Dead remake, which was awesome. I applauded for that in the theater as well. Um, he was also in Machete Kills. And that takes us up to present day with like burn notice and and then the talk of this uh, Evil Dead TV show. So cool. Is burn notice any good? I I've like only it. caught bits and pieces <clears throat> just to see Bruce Campbell, so I don't really know a whole heck of a lot what's going on. But he's just he's running around wearing Hawaiian shirts, and that's enough for me. Must have been good. I mean. From 2007 to 2013, that's a pretty good run. Yeah. 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 Did Did anyone see the? Uh, there was a spinoff feature that he did for that, um, with his character Sam Axe. I can't remember what the the title was, but the fall of Sam Axe. The fall of Sam Axe. I thought that was pretty good. Not horror, obviously, but uh, he did good with that. Yeah, it's a good show. So here's a question then. What is everybody's favorite Bruce Campbell um, everybody's favorite Bruce Campbell performance that's not in a horror movie? Duh. <laughs> uh, Jason. Uh, Sky High. Oh, good one. Oh, you took mine. Dang it. <laughs> I win. Coach Boomer in Sky High. Very good. How about you, Dustin? Non-horror? Um, <laughs> yeah. Running Time. I like Running Time a lot. That's that one continuous shot movie that's all in black and white uh, where he gets out of prison and the first thing he does is to go rob someplace. But they film it all into one continuous shot and he <laughs> has a sex scene in it. And it's just real awkward. But it, that I think, you know, outside of horror, that's that's a really good performance by him. And it's a, it's a younger Bruce Campbell. That's 97. So, yeah. Running time. Check it out. Never seen it. I would definitely have to check it out. John, what about you? I haven't really seen that much uh, that he hasn't been in that hasn't been horror. So, <clears throat> I guess I'm going to have to say in... I mean, it was just a cameo, and this wasn't a straight horror movie, but I guess I'm going to have to go with the... The only one I can go with is the cameo in Darkman, I guess, because that's all I've... Because <laughs> that's, that's the only one that I haven't... that I can remember seeing that wasn't straight horror, so... That was a really good performance. <laughs> you haven't seen a Spider-Man at all? I have, but I don't remember his perform... I don't remember his parts in him. I've seen all three of them, right. but I don't. I don't remember where he was in any three of them. All right. Um, but, uh, Sam, what about you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say the, uh, the fall of Sam Ax. I thought that was a good, a good movie. Again, it's kind of a, you know, he gets to star in it. 
Awesome. And, uh, does a good job. Mike? I'm going to go with, since you took mine, jerk, um, I'm going to go with uh, his voice work in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, <laughs> playing Mayor Shelbourne. Yeah, that's good. What's awesome about it is, is I'm watching this, this movie with my son. You've seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, right, buddy? Mm-hmm. What do, we like? do we like that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You say something besides mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and it's got a really interesting cast, but as soon as the mayor starts speaking, I'm like, holy crap, that's Bruce Campbell. And I turn to Simon, I'm like, holy crap, that's Bruce Campbell. He's like, like mm-hmm. okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's mine. Actually, I want to have to change mine because I just I forgot that oh, he was sorry, in a too late. He- <laughs> no, go ahead. Okay, we'll stick with Darkman. No, I uh, escaped from L.A. because it wasn't a horror movie, and I forgot that I'd seen it. And I liked his per- actually, I liked his performance better than that than in Darkman. But <laughs> nobody knows what that movie is, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's not a horror movie, but it's not an action. Or it's uh, well, it's something. It's, it's is it a movie? <laughs> is it a movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Kurt Russell surfing. You can't beat that. You cannot. <laughs> now, if any movie needs to be redone and the effects changed up a little bit, that's uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, dead air. I haven't gone yet. <laughs> Terry, what's yours? I was waiting for someone to ask me. He gets yeah. confused. Yeah. Um. Well... I would either have to say um, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. or I was always kind of impartial to his reoccurring role on Hercules and Xena. Like, I remember his part specifically from back in the day when I used to watch those. It was, what was his, like... He was a thief. Yeah, like Autocles or uh, something like that. He fit the part. Like Yeah, he was so good. And there was even, now that I look at IMDb, there was even a role, I don't really remember this episode. It's almost like a a mockumentary episode or something where he plays Rob Tappert. <laughs> so I'm going to have to look at that. I don't know what that is, but that's interesting. Cool. cool. Awesome. <laughs> so, that's Bruce Campbell. In a nutshell. Do um, do we want to talk about his books? It's been so long since I've read them. I don't know. We've we've been talking about his books. Everything. Yeah, everyone. All the details and the scenes. I mean, he he sums that up in his in his books with you know a little bit more clarity, but. Like yeah, I mean we've we've been we've been pretty much talking about him. The second book is kind of <clears throat> fiction, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, there are truths to it, but most of it's made up. Yeah. But. Yeah. What about um? 
I'm assuming I was trying. I was trying to avoid it because I'm assuming. Well, you kind of already mentioned you thought about doing that for your gore games, but his video game work. He's done a lot of voice work in video oh, games. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. He's he's just got the he's just got a great voice, and it fits so well into, mm-hmm. into video games. A lot of cartoon voices he's done as well. You know, just because yeah, he's got a very very awesome voice for that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> So yeah, yeah. But he's done, and it's more than just the Evil Dead games too. He uh, he's in all of the uh, pretty much all of the Spider-Man uh, video games that are based off of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, even the even like the newer ones, like the Amazing Spider-Man games. He's does voice work in those, even though he's not in the in the uh, the movies. So um, I think he was like the he's like the narrator to the game for the first Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, video game. There's a couple other random video games in there. He does voice work for too. So, so the man gets the man definitely gets a lot of work, which is good. So, yeah. Cool. Anything? Uh, anything? Um, anything? Anybody else has to say about uh, Bruce Campbell? No. Nope. No. All right. That's it. <laughs> we said cool. it all. Cool. Won't talk about this guy anymore. Ever again. Nope. At least till TV show comes out, and then we're like, "Oh, did you guys see it?" <laughs> <laughs> and we'll all be like, "Ah, oh, he's too old to be playing that part." Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do some segments. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Do you find your life lacking meaning and purpose? Do you get up every morning and say, there's gotta be a better way? Are you a horror film fan and don't understand why your friends and family hasn't seen Necromantic? Do you know people who say that they love Jason from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Are you bored with your current podcast? Do you find yourself answering these questions out loud and getting weird looks from other people in your office? Well, now you never have to worry about those nasty stains again. Now you have a meaning to your boring, miserable life because now you can listen to... Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right, Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast has all the vitamins and minerals for a well-balanced breakfast. On Attack of the Killer Podcast, you can marvel at the crew as they discuss various horror films, such as High Tension and High high Tension. Listen with your ear holes as the attackers pick a topic and then derail from that topic for at least an hour every episode. Be extremely disturbed as you learn the true love Insane Mike has for his Jason Goes to Hell DVD. But wait, there's more. The gang at Attack of the Killer Podcast give you their guarantee that every episode will contain at least two hours of in-depth horror discussion. Or at least until they get bored, which usually happens after about the first 30 minutes. Listen to what this satisfied customer has to say about Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who the hell are you? What are you doing in my bathroom? So don't wait. Follow the rest of the Mindless Sheep and listen to Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast can be heard at attackofthekillerpodcast.com or at stitcher.com. You can also follow Attack of the Killer Podcast on Facebook at Attack of the Killer Podcast or on Twitter at AOTKP. So act now. Offers limited. Operators are standing by. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, we're back. And it's time for some segments. We're going to start off with maybe some shout-outs? Maybe? It's time for... Shout-outs! 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 
Hey, and we're here for shout outs. Yep, no shout outs. Back to you. <laughs> no way. Uh, <laughs> at the point of recording. Yeah. That's what I figured. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, don't forget you can also call 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave your comments. Um, before I have time to edit it, you can still do that. Excellent. Nothing on Twitter either. So that was shout outs. Sort of. Thank you for shout outs. Okay. So let's uh, jump over to Terry for Wicked Words with Wear Tear. Ow! 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 <laughs> I will be talking about Psycho. Um, the book was released in 59. It was written by Robert Block. And then I'm sure that we've discussed the story of how um, the movie was made in 1960 by Hitchcock. And um, he quickly tried to get all of the copies of the book off the local store shelves that he could possibly get. So people didn't know the outcome of the story. Um, the main bones of of the story are the same in the book, but there are some differences, of course. Um, one thing, I don't know why this was changed. Um, uh, in the book, Marion Crane is Mary Crane. I don't know. Maybe Hitchcock just liked Marion better. I'm, I'm not sure on that one. Um, one of the biggest differences is Norman Bates's appearance. Um, in the movie, you know, he's Anthony Perkins and he's, he's tall and he's kind of lanky and he's, he's good looking, kind of innocent. Um, but in the book, he, um, he's middle-aged and kind of fat and kind of balding and just kind of creepy sounding. Um, so a bit more deliberately creepy in the book, whereas Hitchcock kind of took the Oh, he's sweet and innocent, so when it comes around to, you know, him being insane, it's a little bit more shocking. Um, oh, let's see. There's a lot... Um, Bates, uh, Norman Bates is kind of a drunk in the book, which isn't... He doesn't drink at all in the movie. Um, but sometimes his um, slipping into his mother's personality is a result of his drinking in the book, which is kind of different. Um, and there are a lot more conversations uh, between Norman and his mother in the book than there are in the movie. That's revealed much, much later. Um, another slight difference that is just kind of crazy. I mean, the scene in the shower is just so iconic. You know, she just gets stabbed over and over again repeatedly. But in the book, she gets beheaded. I guess that was a little too much Whoa. for Hitchcock. But yeah, a little bit different. Um, and they really, I, I mean, 
the whole first section of the movie is all based around Marion. In the book, she's very quickly over and done with. Like, they get her story out of the way. Uh, and we start the whole book with with Norman Bates. Like, he's reading to us from some book. And so it's, it's laid out differently. Um, but it really, a lot of it's mostly just, you know, you get a lot more inner dialogue, obviously. Um, but... Yeah, the book is more, Norman is just more outright creepy, and it's it's kind of obvious. I mean, the bones of the story are still there, but I think Hitchcock did a much better job of unveiling the inner workings of Norman Bates than the book did. So, that's what I got. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Terry. Mm-hmm. That's very awesome. Psycho is... Mm-hmm. Amazing. I've always wanted to read the book, but uh, now I don't have to, so thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see what's going on in the world of effed up video games with Dustin Neal and Gore Games. Well, just when you guys thought that you were not going to hear anything more about Bruce Campbell, I'm going to bring it right back to you. <laughs> Earlier in the podcast, I did mention Evil Dead Regeneration, and that's what I'm going to talk about for my core game. Uh, Evil Dead Regeneration came out, let me see, what year did it came out? 2005. Uh, this came out late in the life of the PS2 and the Xbox um, it kind of snuck out and was released, and I think it just went underneath the radar. But this is an excellent game. This game actually is like an alternate universe. It takes place as if Army of Darkness never happened. It continues where Evil Dead 2 left off, just that he doesn't get sucked into a time portal. And you actually get to play the first level as Ash uh, at the end of Evil Dead 2. And from there, he's put into a an insane asylum. Um, and they end up, of course, reading some of the words of the book. Uh, and, you know, deadites come to life. And um, this game is a, a hack-and-slash game, meaning, meaning that you can just run around as Ash... And just beat the shit out of anybody. It's just a button masher. You have an infinite gas in your in your chainsaw, and you have infinite ammo. So it's just all out complete mayhem. Um, it's just like a, a melee game, I guess is what you would call it. It's a single player, um, but you do get to play with a sidekick that is actually voiced by Ted Raimi, and he's this like little person type sidekick. And instead of Bruce Campbell getting beat up and getting shit on throughout the entire game, you do it to this little sidekick character. He's like half deadite, half human, and he he can he dies hysterically throughout the game, and he's he, he can come back. Uh, you can control him to get into tight spots, uh, to unlock a door, or to figure out a puzzle. Um, but the greatest thing about the sidekick, like I said, it's voiced by Ted Ramey, and he's the banter between him and Bruce, which is also voiced by Bruce Campbell. Those two going back and forth is hysterical. Um, 
them being in it doesn't make it a good game. It's a good game because it's a good game. It's got good controls. It's fun. It's satisfying. Uh, the ratings for this game weren't excellent by any means. But like I said, it, it kind of snuck out at the end of the life of the PlayStation 2. You know, people were psyched for the, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 that, you know, I think by the time this game came out, nobody was really wanting to review the, you know, these these late PlayStation 2 games. But these late PlayStation 2 games were excellent because they had already had figured out how to make games for the system. They've been around for so long, they knew how to make them. And, and there aren't many great Evil Dead games in the series, but this game is definitely great. You should check it out. Maybe not play the cell phone versions of, of these Evil Dead games that have been coming out and, and see if you can bust out your old PS2 and, and check out Evil Dead Regeneration. That's awesome. Sweet. Cool, cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that Ted Ted Raimi was voiced in that too. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that to pass now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move over to Mr. John Sullivan for Memory Vein. Cool. Well, horror fans, it's a brand new year, and that means brand new installments of Memory Vein. You know, (coughs) it's hard to believe another year has gone by, and unfortunately, the comfy confines of my garage is too cold this time of year to go out and search through the boxes of nostalgic childhood memories. So I've been thinking... What could I talk about to start off a new season? Looking around, I saw things adorning the walls, bookcases, and closets that would be good conversation pieces linking past to present. But nothing stood out that honestly fit as an official memory vein subject. And then, there they were. For the past month, I have been on a music kick, and I spent the good part of a Saturday morning a few weeks back digging through boxes of CDs looking for all of my 80s hairband incarnations. Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard, Skid Row. If you can name it, it's probably there. So when I realized one of my, my one big stack was going to be way too tall without falling over, I broke them down into many smaller stacks. And then it hit me as hard as my first glimpse of Tawny Katane rolling around on a car hood in that White Snakes <laughs> video. What does the hard rock, metal, and hairband music of the 80s have to do with horror. Of course, some of the best horror movie soundtracks and songs popped into my head. Who can forget Alice Cooper's He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, Teenage Frankenstein, and Hard Rock Summer from Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, or the ACDC soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive, Who Made Who? What about the complete soundtracks to Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead Part 2, or the classic Fastway soundtrack to the 1986 film Trick or Treat? For me, all of the music fit excellent with the movies they were included in, and who can even think of any other song lyrics opening up the Stephen King mechanical nightmare other than the video game says play me. But one song holds out more than all of the rest I could think of, and it completely solidifies what horror, hairbands, and the merging of both meant in the 80s. The place was Elm Street, the band was Dokken, and the song was Dream Warriors. Not only was 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors one of my favorite sequels to the franchise and one of my favorite horror sequels in the 80s, 
but it produced one of the coolest MTV videos of all time. Still played and included in rotation on VH1 Classics Metal Mania block, the video featured all of Dawkins' band members, plus Freddy Krueger himself, Robert England, and Patricia Arquette, who portrayed the character of Kristen Parker in Part 3. The video uses film footage and newly recorded scenes to recreate the house dream sequence with the little girl and the Freddy snake scene. Although the Freddy snake doesn't make an appearance, as neither does Elm Street favorite Heather Langenkamp, who made her return as Nancy for this third nightmare, it works nonetheless, as most movie videos of the time only inserted movie scenes throughout the video around the band performing. Dream Warriors, however, held an added bonus for fans of Dokken and the film, as the musicians themselves were included throughout as a part of the story and in the video were instrumental in removing Freddy in a most musical way. The video definitely depicts what MTV and its connection between movies and music was back then. But as great as the Doc and Elm Street video was, make no mistake, the song itself is the hard hitter here. And from the opening guitar riff to the chorus, it holds the place as one of the most recognizable themes in horror films today and is still one of Dawkins' most well-known and well-remembered charted singles. As we bring this song to a close, I'm sure there are other memorable metal and rock song themes to horror films I forgot to mention, so if you can remember some I might have missed, I'd love to hear them. By the way, what are your favorites? Until next time, Memory Vayners. Oh, and by the way, Mike, Jason, Terry, and Dustin, you'll be pleased to hear that no jam boxes were harmed in the making of this episode. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Woo! All right. <laughs> and I also want to note that Dream Warriors, I forgot to say this in my thing, that it is from the Dawkins album Back for, Back for the Attack. So it's it's available on there if anybody wants to find it. We all have it already. Don't worry. Oh, awesome. Excellent song. Uh-huh. And good video. I just saw the video for the first time actually not too long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good video. Yeah, I really liked how they... Like I said, they they didn't just have the band playing, and they showed scenes from the movie. They actually, you know, had the actually had the band be in the thing, and they were they took part of the story, which yeah. I thought was really cool. Yeah, what was it the uh, the singer in that like four hour Nightmare on Elm Street documentary? He's like, I don't even think I can hit that note anymore. Like he's <laughs> like fessed up to it right there. I thought that was yeah. like, so they don't do that, you know? <laughs> it is high. Mike can hit it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I set him up. <laughs> That's good. He goes right on, right on pitch. <laughs> All right, I guess that leaves one segment left. That's why Mike's not talking. Okay. Uh-oh. It's time for Insane's Pick. So, John, you um, talked about classic 80s metal bands, music in um, horror films, Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. But what about the song Save Our Souls by Motley Crue? Or Fast as a Shark by the group Accept. What movie could those songs be featured in? That's right. You guessed it. 1985's Italian classic, Demons. Yeah! Demons! Yeah! 
<laughs> yeah. But at the Demons. Directed by Lumberto Bava, son of classic Italian horror meister Mario Bava. And this is probably one of my favorite Italian horror films to come out of the 80s. I was going to do another one, and I may be doing Italian horror for a while now um, on Insane's Picks. And I, I, what I what I was originally going to do was the 1981 classic Nightmare City. I'm going to save that one for another day because when John started talking about um, classic uh, hair metal bands of the 80s and their music showing up in horror films, I instantly thought of the movie Demons because that that soundtrack is loaded with awesome great hair metal bands it even has um billy idol's white wedding song in it for crying out loud so how they got the rights to those songs back in the day who knows but it and a lot of those a lot of the um italian horror films of that day used a lot of hair metal band music uh dario argento used quite a few in some of his films um and speaking of dario argento uh he was the producer on um on demons it was a it was a um dario argento presents type of type of thing kind of like what emblem entertainment was in the 80s in america what dario argento was doing in italy uh during this time frame so when you're watching a movie like demons it really has kind of an argento feel to it there's a lot of crazy lighting um um, a lot of gels on things, a lot of great gore. Um, everything really feels kind of like an Argento film, um, even though this is actually technically directed by Lumberto Bava. And if you look at Lumberto Bava, the rest of Lumberto Bava's work in comparison to the Demons, there is a huge contrast. So I really think like where Steven Spielberg kind of had his toes dipped into all those emblem films, Poltergeist, Goonies, uh, and whatnot. Uh, Dario Argento really was like, hey, if I'm spending the money, I want the movie to look like this. So, But what's great about Demons, first of all, a group of people get invited to the premiere of this all-new movie theater that's opening up in, in West Berlin. And they get these special invitations handed to them by this guy with this like silvery mask on. So first of all, Creeper. I would not take any invitation by a guy kind of running around, never says a word. He's just wearing the silver silver, um, uh, silver mask on the whole time. He kind of has a Phantom of the Opera look going about him. And I like, I wouldn't take any invitation. Like, you know, who knows what's going to happen if I go to this movie theater. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going. But everybody decides to go uh, to this premiere. You never see this guy in the rest of the movie, by the way. There's no reference of who this guy is um, and what he's all about. He's just there going around town handing on invitations. He chases this one girl down in this train station and then just hands her the invitation and then she still thinks it's a good idea to go. Anyway, that's the Italians for you. So they go to this uh, to the, to this theater and the movie that's uh, premiering at this brand new movie theater is this horror movie where the guys um, unearth the works of, of uh, Nostradamus and... Um, and somehow they resurrect these demons and in the movie everybody's turning into demons and killing each other and that's what and then in the true form of art imitating life that happens in the theater 
in the beginning, before the movie starts, and everybody's hanging out in the lobby, there's this motorcycle, foreshadow, in the lobby, and there's this, like, demon, silvery demon mask sitting there, and these two prostitutes think they're funny, and they're playing with the mask, and they put it on, they're like, ha, 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 look at me, scratch, the mask scratch is one of the prostitutes, blood, uh-oh, you know what that means, anytime blood is dripped on something creepy in a horror movie, you know what's gonna happen next, so... So everything starts going wrong in the movie, and everything's starting to happen the same way in the theater. So is the movie doing it, or is it the silvery demon mask? Because the, the prostitute gets scratched by the mask, she goes to the bathroom, and she starts pussing out like she's a garbage pail kid, and then all of a sudden just starts turning into this demon. The other prostitute goes in to check on her, and she just rips her throat out with these gnarly claws and everything. So... Everybody starts turning into demons, getting killed off by demons. A lot of really co cool uh, demon transformation effects. Not since American Werewolf in London has there been bladder tubes used in such fashion. You get really cool shots of fingernails starting to split and blood spewing out everywhere as these sharp um, Lee Press-On nails start puncturing through into these demon fingernails. And so really cool, you know, like... All the all the effects work in this movie is top notch. Uh, for nineteen eighty five, everything looks awesome. A lot of gore. The demons look great. The transformations are are flawless. Oh, my favorite uh, transformation effect is like you get a shot of the uh, of their of their teeth and like the demon fangs start pushing out the human teeth and and blood's flying and everything. Um, and these demon teeth are puncturing out the real teeth. Really gross and disgusting and, and awesome. So, and then it just turns into just like demon slaughter fodder as everybody's trying to figure out how to get out of this, out of this, uh, movie theater. Um, but there's no way out. All the, all the ways, all the way outs are blocked off, even bricked up in certain areas. Like they, they, they tear back the door and it's a brick wall now. Like how the hell did that happen? So everything's like really weird, supernatural, and nothing is ever explained. That's Italian cinema for you. So, but it's just tons of mayhem. There's a blind guy at the theater. Why a blind guy is going to a movie theater is beyond me, but whatever. And he gets his eyes gouged out in a really cool, gruesome effect. Um, so, uh, this one girl gets, gets her scalp ripped off by this demon's bare hand, tons of bloody, bloody stuff. And even though there's like probably about a good hundred or so people in this movie theater, all getting torn apart, that's just still not enough carnage from Umberto Bava. There's a, there's a group of punk rockers that are listening to some classic eighties hair metal in the car, some Motley Crue action in this car they're sniffing cocaine off this girl's boobs and they decided hey you know hey let's go break into this movie theater where no one else can seem to get out of but they can get in so they go in and they get killed off as well and it seems like about every 10 minutes your protagonist switches like there for a while we're following these people but oh they're dead so now we're gonna have to follow these people and oh, they're dead so just keeps going back and forth through the whole movie. You don't really have any real characters to latch on to, but again, that's Italian horror for you. But it's gruesome, it's bloody, it's visually beautiful and stimulating, and of course, it ends, um, huge spoiler alerts here, but you know, it ends in, in some amazing fashions that I have to share. Um, the these, This couple takes the sword and the motorcycle that we see at the beginning of the film and you're thinking why is there a motorcycle in the lobby of this movie theater well it's so that we can have this moment of this couple on the motorcycle 
with the samurai sword, just going up and down the aisles of the movie theater, hacking demons' heads off. And just when all hope seems lost and the demons are about to get the best of them, from out of nowhere, literally, a helicopter crashes through the roof of the movie theater. No rhyme or reason, just all of a sudden, boom, helicopter crashes through the roof. And in one of the great false endings in cinema history, they get out of the movie theater and they discover, huge spoiler here, here's the big twist, that what was going on on the inside of the movie theater is going on on the outside of the movie theater as well. So everything in a span of like eight hours, everything on the outside is now all a post-apocalyptic, you know, fire in the streets, demons running rampant, everybody's dead. And there's this army jeep of survivors that come pulling up, take the two off, credits start to roll, they're driving off into the sunset. The end, right? No, the credits the credits literally stop for another two or three minute sequence where boom, surprise, there's there's one more little surprise ending there. And then the then the credits decide to finish. Ugh, demons. Got it out, 1985. One one of the great Italian splatter films from from the 80s. I highly recommend it. Um, you can also check out Demons 2, which is basically the exact same movie, only in a high-rise apartment building instead of a movie theater. So, check them out. Demons. Yeah, Demons. Woo! <laughs> nice. Love it. Yes. So there you go. Have you ever seen Demons, John? I don't believe I have. Now you need to. Yes, I do. If nothing else for all the great 80s hair metal bands that are in it. Oh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. It just seems so, it seems so out of place because, well, first of all, a lot of times these Italian filmmakers would use this metal music in the most inappropriate moments in their movies. It's not so much so in this movie. It, it's still appropriate. It just seems odd because you're watching this Italian movie and there's this all these AD hair metal band music going on. So, hmm. no, anyway. So that wraps up another show of Attack of the Killer podcast, our Bruce Campbell episode. How's everybody doing? Great. <laughs> Good. Good. Everybody ready to be done with this? We're going to talk for another two hours. It's all good. We're done. <clears throat> I just I was good. checking up some news, and I didn't know. If my, I assume you got a tweet about it. Saw that Weird Al got the Grammy. <gasps> oh no! I haven't checked my phone. I'm recording a podcast. Oh. <laughs> he won. Awesome. Like I had any doubts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> that ends this episode on a high note. Totally horror related. <laughs> His tour started too, guys. I'm going. Who's, who's with me? So far, he's only, one, he's only got one show in Iowa. Just one? Oh. Yeah. Well, when he tours, he usually does at least a couple. And I always go see the furthest one away because he always announces the closer one after <laughs> I go see the other one. So doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'll see him. I'll see him twenty times. Doesn't... Okay, so that concludes another episode. What? What? Okay. 
Oh, and are we going to go see Faith No More, too, Jason, by the way? No, not talking about it. Oh. No, okay. I missed the tickets. They sold out fast. They sold out already? Oh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> An hour. Oh, I had two chances, and as well as on tour, and I got caught driving and missed it. Sons of a Both times, so we're not talking about it. All right. They'll announce more dates, too, I hope. So. Yeah, I hope so, too. Guess I'm not surprised. It's been how long since they've done a U.S. tour? A million years. Yeah. All right. Well, I ruined the good mood there. So that's another episode of Attack Out Killer Podcast. <laughs> Any thoughts from anybody? Bruce the man. Bruce is the man. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's groovy. <laughs> <laughs> Any other lines? Anybody? No? Okay. So, have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all again soon. Bye bye. Oh no! Could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast!